This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. What's that football group is doing? Last week they had Brady, this week they got Brady. We're doing it, we're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right, we're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson. We are live, live on a Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Bright and early. Go? Yeah, bright and early. We're reviewing all the Week 8 NFL action, Sam. You ready to go, man? Let's go. Uh, but first, a reminder. What first? You threw a baseball on Friday. Yeah. And we captured it. This and we're going to present it. So we're going to, people already know what, what happened? Well, if they're looking at Twitter, they know. Yeah, I hit I hit sixty. I thought there was going to be some drama. I thought we were going to have. Well, well, you know, there's going to be a video up. on Wednesday. We'll have the whole thing. But you know, we hit sixty. You did I it. I hit sixty for charity. Sam did it. They gave us a uh, they gave us a free, you know, proper Major League Baseball. The Red, Red yeah. the Reds. It was what a was good the guy's ball. name Larry. Yeah, shout out Larry to Larry from the Reds. Yeah, thank you, uh, thank you to the Cincinnati Reds for yes. letting us step foot onto Great American Ballpark. Kind of. Just the warning track and then right. into the bullpen. Not the grass. Yeah. Don't go on the grass. You almost got form tackled when you almost stepped foot on the grass Yeah, yeah. by security, uh-huh. but that did not we were happen. on it. Also, one of the security guys, he was, I had like a little cheerleader there. You see him? The guy up on the, the steps. Yeah. You, giving me, you were busy calling me Tim Tebow. He was busy talking me up. Going, you know. I mean, people were asking for a comparison. Yeah. You're okay. throwing motion right. and everything. I anyway, think the Major yeah. League Baseball was a key part. Yes. Now we need a new charity and uh, we need to start uh, the next thing, you know? So email us in ideas, places we can donate to, uh, and challenges we can do. We're going to set up the next one because people are, uh, well, you know, you can only talk about charity for so long before people start complaining about you talking about the charity. So some people have done that. That's a good point. So we'll get on to the next one. Anyway, um, congrats to Sam. Thank you. You did it. Very did impressive. It. Mm-hmm. And we'll have the, uh, the full breakdown on Wednesday. Here, here though, we're going to break down all of week eight, starting with all of yesterday's action. Where was this game? London? They're all in London. Yeah. Which stadium? I think it was Spurs Stadium. Tottenham. Was it? I think. Haven't they all been? Was the first one was at Wembley? I, think I don't pay was, attention to where. I think that's where it was. Anyway, the Denver Broncos, 21. Jacksonville Jaguars, 17. Broncos move to 3-5. and five. Jaguars fall to 2-6. and six. We've got another game where, look, the offense has struggled again, but Broncos came alive for the fourth quarter comeback, and now all three of their wins, Sam, are 21 points or fewer Yeah, with a fourth quarter comeback. It is interesting. Every now and again, you do get fourth quarter Russell Wilson to show up. It wasn't him taking over or anything like that. It was K.J. Hamler taking over, hits Hamler with a deep ball, get an end around, where K.J. Hamler uses some of his explosiveness, but... The Broncos' offense comes to life when needed. And then another failed fourth-quarter comeback for Trevor Lawrence, ending in an interception by K1 Williams. It sort of feels like the only way that Broncos' offense functions is when you kind of throw out 
normal game flow and just say, all right, you actually need to kind of drop back, go empty, and just get a drive, you know? Because yeah. the one that kind of put them ahead, I think, was this big 98-and-a-half-yard drive in the third quarter where Russ goes the length of the field. They, they scored a touchdown. And right from the, the get-go, right, right at the start of that drive, they're spreading everything out. Russell's in shotgun. It's just quick. It, was, it felt like a two-minute drive, even though it was in the middle of the third quarter somewhere. That's like the only way this offense works is when you just kind of junk the offense and say, all right, specific situation, you know, two-minute drill type of stuff. That, that's – A, it's sort of – it's notable in itself, but B – it's not a good thing if that's the only way your offense works. Uh, Russell Wilson, obviously, we've talked about his struggles, the off-field discussions. We spent 15 minutes on his high knees that warmed him up on the plane. He was good. He was warm. He warmed up on the plane. So He also uh, had some – was it a pregame routine that people were dunking on him for this time? Had a whole, he had a whole thing in, in London. Yeah. I showed you this thing before, they, we, before we went live, right, where – you see all the time the way that offensive linemen react to their quarterback post-sack says a lot about that relationship and says a lot about the play. When the offensive lineman blows it, he's immediately over, hand out to the quarterback, picking him up. Sorry, my bad, I screwed that up, right? There was a sack in this game where two different Jag, Jaguar, Jaguar players got through the line, sacked Russell Wilson, took him to the ground, went off celebrating. The entire offensive line just, like, stood up, turned around, went back to the line. Like, ignored Russell Wilson lying on his back, prone on the field, having been buried, and just went, eh, next. <laughs> I mean, look, it's one, it's one piece of it. It's one data point, Steve. But all the data points. There's a lot of one direction. data points. All right. Um, they won, man. The Broncos won. It's okay. We don't have to be negative about everything. But the uh, the Tyler Lockett quote we'll get into later in the show is something else everyone likes to uh, to look into. But look, the Broncos come away with a 21-17. It was the second time Russell Wilson has graded above 70 this season. What do you so, make? Um, was it uh, George Payton was basically making the argument that um, it's been an unfair sort of under a microscope analysis of this team because new head coach new quarterback all coming in and like all of their games have been on prime time so the struggles have been front and center whereas if this was just general struggles off in the distance somewhere but they were buried in the 4 p.m time slot and nobody cared nobody would be dunking on nathaniel hackett the way they have been so far or the russell wilson thing it would all just be like ah denver isn't as good as we thought they were but there's still half a season to go you know i think there's some truth to that i think there is some truth I mean, we we know how much the the primetime stuff happens, right? It's just it's it is front and center. Yeah, that and it's is been a consistently huge miserable, which is yes, you know, highlighting on national TV. Now the good news, uh, well, sorry, the bad news for the Broncos. Nobody watched the game yesterday. It was on ESPN Plus. Nobody even knows how to sign up for that thing. You know, uh, people so woke up on a Sunday morning. They're like, "Is there a game? Oh, there's a game. Oh, let me sign into. Oh, I don't have ESPN Plus. It's yeah, cool." A lot of mad people. Yeah, a lot of upset people. So that's what happens. The two games where Russ graded above 70 was just a random 4 o'clock game against the Raiders back in Week 4, and then yesterday on ESPN+. Plus. So, there you go. All the primetime games, not so hot. Yeah, I mean, I think, there's, I think there's some truth to that. Plus, it started with Nathaniel Hackett opting for a 64-yard field goal on 4th and 5 on Monday Night Football. <coughs> it started front and center yeah, like that. So, I think there's some truth to it. Where there's no truth, to, where, I mean, where the other side of it is Russ is grading at 63 this season 
He's never graded before below 73. I mean, it's a whole different. Oh, it is bad. I yeah. mean, there's no like, there's no escaping the any kind of slant that it's ta- it's getting from all these primetime games is not. Um, it's not inventing something that doesn't exist. It's just amplifying the displeasure that would already be there. The only difference is like 17 people in Denver would be whinging about it. Otherwise, now it's like everybody dunking on Russell Wilson and Hackett and you know all that kind of stuff because it's it's all been prime time. Yeah, I think there's. I think there's some truth to that. And we've had some people ask, hey, do you guys want to go revisit some of your preseason takes? And a lot of our preseason takes were like, hey, the AFC's loaded. It's an arms race. They're, they're all gathering their quarterbacks. And I kept reiterating, there's going to be some good teams with bad records. Well, the great- now, when, now that we're in it, it's the Broncos could be considered one of those good teams that are, with a bad record at 3-5 and because their defense is so good. Yeah. But I thought it might be more like, here are these teams, <laughs> we're watching them. They don't look bad but the record's not good. Right. I, I don't have that feeling right now for a lot of teams around the league. The great thing about my Denver take is that it, it was it's right at some point in the offseason because I did like a full 360 on it. I yeah, yeah, you did. immediately was like, oh, great, Russ to those receivers, amazing. And we kind of saw that some of that in London. I mean, Jerry Judy had a pretty good game. Yeah. K.J. Hamler took over late in the game. Those guys are legit when Russ is airing the ball out and giving it to them. Um, but then I was like, you know what, actually – I feel like this Russell Wilson being meshed with a conventional offense thing isn't going to be as smooth as everybody thinks it is. There's problems in, you know, endemic to Russell Wilson that are not going to go away just because you take him out of Seattle. I, I think we're going to learn that that was a more complicated relationship than the that turns out to be right. And then right towards the end of the season, I was like, yeah, but ultimately I think the upgrade from Drew Locke to, to Russell Wilson will be too much that it'll, that'll be the most important thing. So depending on what part of the offseason you pick, I was right at some point. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. You absolutely uh-huh. nailed it. On the other side, still concerning for Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars. Yeah. You do get uh, a big game for Travis Etienne, 24 carries for a 156, 49-yarder in there is in a score. But they average six yards per carry. The Jaguars, 4.3 yards per attempt, not including sacks. Even worse when you include sacks on those dropbacks. Passing offense has just been rough in Jacksonville these last couple weeks. They lose four straight after starting the season two and one. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence looks bad, um, which is it. So it's he has a bad red zone interception, right? It, these are time like poorly timed interceptions, turnover worthy plays, bad interception in the red zone, bad interception to end the game right at the beginning of that comeback attempt. I, I don't know if it's priors or not with him, but there are a lot of smart quarterback people around that still sort of really heavily praise, you know, individual plays of Trevor Lawrence. It's like, oh, look at the process here. Watch him do this. You know, watch these five different parts. This is high-level quarterback stuff. You're like, yeah, but what about, like, the next play where he just pitches it right to a DB? Like, that's low-level quarterback stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't know if that's just because everybody thought he was the next great young quarterback, you know, the Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, John Elway prospect, or if it's – He's an unusual quarterback because when he does it well, he does it perfectly, you know, from a obviously he's got the physical tools standpoint, but he's also got the the processing standpoint. Like when it's right, it's perfect. It's it's textbook picture perfect. It's how you would coach it. It's just that it's the other stuff like that. It's the problem. And, you know, we, we kind of it's easy to not overlook but when you see it exactly the way it's drawn up and it looks so, you know, by the, by the numbers, it's really easy to be drawn into that. Like, oh, we just need to we just get rid of the bad ones and we've got this perfect quarterback sitting here. 
Yeah, man. It's uh, it's interesting. I, I think some of the people you're talking about might just skew positive in general. You know, they, they tend to <clears throat> highlight a lot of the positives. Um, again, I repeat myself a million times. I'm not seeing... Forget about I'm not seeing what I thought I might see. But we have a guy that's talented in an Andrew Luck sense. And Andrew Luck had plenty of bumps along the way early mm-hmm. in his career. But you just said hey, this roster's not there, but man, they're making the playoffs and they're they're going to the AFC Championship and and he's dragging them. And and he's, you used to always make the phrase, he's setting fires, but then he's putting them out, right? He's throwing a pick six. He's yeah. making those bad plays, but he's putting them out. Lawrence is setting them and not putting them out. Yes, he is fanning them instead of putting them out. And, and just like, say what you want about Russell Wilson, he's got some of that fourth quarter magic. And I, I think there's something to the ability to put aside three quarters of play and be in the moment and go lead your team to a comeback. And, and a lot of the great <laughs> ones have had that. And I, I, I'm repeating it again, but I get the opposite from Lawrence. It's like he's had, because the Jags have been tra- trailing a lot. Hmm. He's had so many opportunities. Put the team on your back and go make all these plays and um, just has not been successful far more often than not he had that one he had a good comeback against the Colts that the defense blew a couple weeks ago and in this game you have an opportunity throws it into coverage K1 Williams with a really nice interception so it also it makes you wonder like you know how would the Andrew Luck story have gone if they weren't winning you know if it looked the same Andrew Luck was still starting fires put out some not put out some but they kept coming up short you know, because yeah. that's what you're looking at with Lawrence right now is this wildly inconsistent stuff. When it's good, it's great. Yeah, but Luck played way better. I mean, I'm saying well, Luck took his bumps, yeah, lumps but, or whatever, but like he played way better than what Lawrence is showing. He did. I know it's 2012 grade. It's in like the mid 60s or whatever, but it was with it was with this high end of volatility. It was it was on the high end of volatility. They were a playoff caliber team. Like they were winning in part because of what Luck could do at the end of the game. He did have that ability. He's one of the best of all time bringing his team back. Yeah. But that wild, inconsistent play is, like, at this point, that's Lawrence. The, the idea that he's the next Peyton Manning looks completely absurd now. Like, that is your hope, is that at some point he can turn it back around and try and kind of do the Andrew Luck thing of being inconsistent yeah. and still good. And then, you know, I'm not even talking about, like, forget the last two years of Luck's career where he finally put it all together and got those 90 grades and yeah. looked like the superstar that everyone had claimed he was all the way along. If you just got, like, high 70s, you know, uh, Trevor Lawrence games consistently and he just cut out the disastrous stuff, that's starting to look like his ceiling at this point. It is. So uh, some question marks in Jacksonville, always some question marks in Denver, even when they're playing a morning game and not a primetime game. Yes. Right. You, uh, you did it again. You completely forgot that Thursday night football happened. I thought we were not touching on Thursday Night Football. No, yeah, because we didn't do on it the on show. the daily, so we got to do it now. All right, let's circle back to Thursday Night Football then. The it was Ravens days won. ago. Yeah. Baltimore Ravens 27, Tampa Bay Bucks 22. Ravens won, the Bucks still suck. Yeah. Is that your summation? We, yeah. I mean, sure. Uh, I mean, it was uh, the Ravens' tale of two halves for them. I mean, the Ravens' offense, they looked horrible Again. in the first half, right? They were They were inconsistent, not good. But in the second half, they were unstoppable. I mean, the Bucs had no answers. The Bucs looked like they, it was one of those, they looked like they're playing with either 10 men on the field or everybody's just tired. Um, Devin White got attacked, absolutely attacked by the Ravens. It did feel like every single play, it's 
offensive lineman blocking him at the second level. It's him being out of position in coverage. That one play where Linderbaum takes him for a ride and destroys him was was bad. Yeah. I mean, people are tweeting us about Devin White. So he ends up with a 44 grade. Again, that stuff got disguised because every now and again he'd have a you know, a pass rush for a blitz or something, you know, he, he, or a blitz for a sack or something like that, and he didn't have that in this game. When they, you know, used him as a spy a couple times with uh, Lamar Jackson, but Lamar and the entire Ravens offense goes from very inconsistent in the first half to, I don't think he missed a throw in the second half. The run game was spectacular. Everything they did, the Bucks had no answers defensively, and the Bucks, it was the other, the story was, you know, reversed really, where the offense you know, was like, hey, they're taking shots on second and one with some play action, right? They're actually getting the ball down the field, creating some big plays to Chris Godwin, to Mike Evans, but then they hit a lull in the middle of the game, and the Bucks' offense remains just extremely inconsistent all around. Big game from uh, Isaiah Likely, breakout game with Mark Andrews going down, missing some time. That's the other thing, man. The Ravens were beat up. Everybody got hurt, but a guy like Isaiah Likely steps up. Both this was a this was kind of costly, you know, attritional game for both teams. Um, the Bucks lost Shaq Barrett, right? He's down, so that's by far their best pass rusher down for the. I think he's the rest of the year, right? It was an Achilles he did. Yeah, um, that's a huge blow. I mean, we've been talking before that. Generally, the injuries that Tampa Bay have sustained, most of these guys are coming back. They're not long-term problems. Um, that's a big one. Like, you, your best pass rusher is now out of the picture for the rest of the year. Um, Tom Brady, was pro- it was his worst game of the season, right? So this was the, – the offense had been poor for a few weeks now. But it was like Brady, Brady's missing some throws uh, all, all, all season. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, he had been pretty consistent, grading in the high 60s, low 70s. It was a pretty consistent game. Uh, Game, uh, games or season really for Brady as far as the grading goes this game though missed a ton of throws and threw a couple spectacular ones in there a couple to Mike Evans but just just missed a bunch in the red zone missed Kyle Rudolph for a touchdown in the uh, in the red zone him and Mike Evans were unable to connect in the red zone early for the Bucks offense it does feel like I mean just anything that can go wrong goes wrong there's drops in the end zone there's missed throws in the end zone there's false starts when they need to get a two-point conversion was it a two-point or uh i think it was a fourth and short they have a, a false start when they when they were going to go for it yeah i mean I, I said everything's it, bad i said it before that the only good news for tampa bay this season is that 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 division is not going anywhere yeah. you know it took the atlanta carolina game yesterday for somebody to overtake um Tampa Bay at the top of that division if Carolina had won that game and went to overtime they would have been top of the division with a what three and five record and they would be three and oh in the division and oh and five outside of the division like that division looks horrendous so Tampa Bay can stumble and bumble their way through the rest of the year and still be well in contention to win that division like all they need to do is to figure their crap out in like week 15 and they're still fine the, the Bucks have by far the worst rushing offense in the NFL, no matter where, which way you slice it. Yards, efficiency, whatever it might be. They've got this mini bye week to figure it out. A lot of people in Tampa, Tampa media saying, they got to run the ball, got to run the ball more. I don't know if that's going to be the solution, running the ball ineffectively more often. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason. But you have not. to, like, you have to figure out how. You do have to run the ball effectively. Like, even with the – we'll get to the Packers game. At least they couldn't throw the ball for the first half, but they the run game actually got them back into it. If you're going to run it, you don't want it to be for two yards per carry. Uh, Nick Leverett was a significant upgrade over Luke Gottecki in he this was. game. Like that, 
that's a potential fix, you know, yeah. for, the, you for the worst part out, of that offensive line. Yeah, I think it's one of those, now you have to figure out the schemes that are going to work. Yeah. Do you spread to run instead of bunching it to run? They like to use two tight ends. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch, a whole bunch that they have to figure out. Um, and then the Ravens keep their streak alive. They've been up 10 for eight straight games now, at least uh, at one point in the game. And they're five and three in those games, which is all football games. So Ravens five and three, Bucks move to three and five. There you go, your Thursday night football review. See? The PFF NFL right. podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps you advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, let's get to that other NFC South matchup then. Atlanta Falcons 37, Carolina Panthers 34. One of the craziest games of the weekend. As you mentioned, the, the winner was going to take over first place. It is the Falcons who take over first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, Panthers just man hanging in there one of the most ridiculous throws of the season pj walker to dj moore at the end of the game beating the quote-unquote hail mary defense they weren't playing hail mary defense but man 62 yards for the touchdown to tie the game at the end unable to get the extra point and then missing the game-winning field goal in overtime as well falcons they made a couple comebacks of their own demir bird weaving through the defense for a 47-yarder. That was what put them up initially late in the fourth quarter. Bird, super fast, different type of receiver than what the Falcons have because they've got some of those, you know, the big dudes, the Kyle Pitts and uh, Drake Londons of the world. And then in overtime, it was Marcus Mariota weaving through the defense to set up the game-winning field goal. So the Falcons at 4-4 four and four, taking control of the NFC South. Don't forget, you missed a pretty critical uh, element of that touchdown and then missed extra point for Carolina is in between the two of them, DJ Moore got penalized for taking his helmet off, which brought them oh, 15 right. yards back and made the kick further than it should have been. Maybe you so, go for two at that point. No, I, no you, but you don't. no, you don't at all. But uh, particularly, by the way, when your kicker is Eddie Pinheiro, like you're already thinking, oh, this, this could go bad. This has happened before. And then you go take your helmet off. And there were so many people who obviously had the Carolina Panthers money line. (laughs) Like, why is that a penalty? It shouldn't be. He's off the field of play at the time. It shouldn't count. You're like, yeah, but it's still like, yeah. Where was he standing? He went out the back of the end zone and was on the white line at the point he took his helmet off. So he's technically not on the field. That is kind of true, though. No, because the rule is you got to have your helmet on until you get to the sideline. You can't just be off the field. You can't just run out the back of the end zone and be like, "Ah, ah, doesn't count. It's fake now, you know. Technically, technically, I'm not on the field of play, so I can take off my helmet whenever I feel like it. No. So the rule is correct. He shouldn't take his helmet off, and, you know, that's why you don't do that. Anyway. We're going to get into the rules discussion here. I mean, it is football's intense, NFL's intense, especially with money on the line. You're sitting at home. You have money on the line. Uh But you're a player, right? You're going all week preparing for the game. It is so intense. It is this ramp up to Sunday. And it is very frustrating, though, when it's took a helmet off penalty. Um, who had the who had the taunting yesterday? AJ Brown. No, there was a, well. I mean, there was a different one that I had. Oh, Allen Robinson had one against the 49ers. Yeah, so what you mean is who had the taunting penalty that I'm thinking of? That I'm thinking yeah, of, right? Okay. Of course, gotcha. other people had taunting. I'm gotcha. just saying, like Allen Robinson got up. Was it uh, Hufanga in his face? In, 
all he did was single, signal for a first down. I mean, it's just like, oh, you made eye contact and signaled for a first down. 15% of the football field. That's what you're losing. 15% of the football field for that? eye contact and a first down signal. All that preparation for a football game, and you're going to lose 15 yards for those plays. Did you see the Pete Carroll one? No. Pete Carroll got penalized 15 yards for bumping an official because the official ran into him. So the, the, the run at the end of the game, Geno Smith runs first down, ices the game, game over, right? Pete Carroll on the sideline is like jumping up and down celebrating, right? The official running up his sideline thing runs into Pete Carroll. Was he He's outside like, the coach's box there? Yeah, he was on the white line, I think, maybe even on well, the field. That's but anyway, on his, the that's point on his is, get back, coach. He, yeah, absolutely. Um, official runs into him. Pete's like, oh, my bad. You know, puts out his hand to stop the guy, like, running him over. Dude's like, yellow flag. He's like, come on, like this is ridiculous. Now, it was after the play, so it didn't affect anything other than moving back, right? But that could have affected a game. Can you imagine losing a game because the official runs into you and is then like yellow flag? No, it's absurd. Any no fun. No fun league for a reason. PJ, okay. PJ, one, Form, uh, PJ I'm, I'm reading Deontay Foreman. He had the, the three touchdowns. Yeah. But yeah, go ahead, talk about PJ Walker. One bad play in there pick six lorenzo carter yeah tossing the ball to somebody on a screen that isn't on your team generally a bad thing outside of that though this was a really impressive game from pj he can't he's he's been as good a quarterback as i've seen this season at attacking those two high coverage shells the tip the classic kind of hole in the zone plays he is firing those in consistently and testing cornerbacks in a way nobody else is so far this season. It's actually really insane. And then that crazy touchdown, which is one of the best, like Patrick Mahomes called it the best throw of the season. Um, the arm strength to get it there was nuts. Get yeah. it there in stride. They scored a touchdown essentially against prevent defense. Like the defense that's supposed to stop that happening. We're going to give up a lot of easy underneath stuff, but the one thing we're going to do is make sure you don't score in the play. He just went, all right, there's two guys there. What the hell? I'm going to throw it over the top of them. My guy will get there first because he's a fast receiver, and that's how we're going to win. Um, it was the throw of the season. I mean, it, you call it prevent or not. I mean, that's that's more impressive than just like the Hail Mary. Like Aaron Rodgers gets all this well, credit for throwing it. He keeps getting it. called a Hail Mary. It wasn't a Hail it Mary. It wasn't a Hail Mary. I mean, he it's just a like took a shot over the top of prevent defense. There, there was a couple college plays a few years ago. Uh, his uh, On the other side, Felipe Franks of the Falcons. Mm. He has one of the best throws in our database. Yeah. Um, I forget which year, but you know, a few years back against Tennessee, where he throws the ball like 70 yards. It was in the, the longest throw in the database yeah. for a while. It, but it was Tennessee was supposed to be playing prevents. Yeah. They weren't. The receiver gets behind the defense, and Felipe Franks hits him in stride. Jacob Eason, I think, had one as well for Georgia against Tennessee as well. This was similar, right? It's not prevents like you're throwing a jump ball. It's like, oh, man, we actually have a step here. And P.J. put it in a perfect spot. Yeah. Um, by the way, just... I mean, putting it in a perfect spot, but like having the arm strength to get it there we was asked, impressive. We asked on the show last week, the week before, like who's the next Geno Smith, right? Who's the guy that's going to sort of sat behind, like sat on the bench for ages, didn't have a particularly auspicious start to his career maybe, and then eventually years down the line breaks out and looks like a completely different player. What if it's PJ? I, PJ, as much as he won XFL MVP or whatever it was, I don't think he's even that good in that, that league. Certainly wasn't that good you've, in any previous. You've been his biggest critic. Because he stinks. He has stank. He was bad at Temple. Stunk. 
Stink, stank, stunk. Stink, stank, stunk. Yeah. He was bad at Temple. That was wasn't good. particularly good in the XFL, even though he won MVP. That's just how bad the league was. Um, hasn't looked good in preseason. Hasn't looked good in previous regular season action. And then all of a sudden, P.J. shows up, carves the Bucks to ribbons, and then throws the best pass of the season. Should have beaten the Atlanta Falcons. P.J. wasn't good and is now all of a sudden good over a two-game sample size. Maybe P.J. is the next Geno. We wrote him off, but he ain't wrote back. <laughs> after, after a two-game sample size. Yeah. No, when he's been the starter, though, you pointed this out in the previous show, when he's been the starter, it's looked different, right? We were. Yeah, but it was like it hasn't been bad. <laughs> it hasn't been good either, but now it's good. He's looked genuinely. Two weeks ago, he didn't complete a pass beyond the line of scrimmage. You think he's changed that much in two I mean, weeks? I, that just, like, this is the offense, right? I remember we were talking about what a joke this offense was and how it wasn't like that. That was a game plan that was clearly done by a child with finger painting. Like, you know what I mean? If all if of a sudden Christian they're actually McCaffrey, pass. If Christian McCaffrey hadn't been going off in San Francisco right now, this would be another, well, another time in Christian McCaffrey's career where he left and the offense got better. <laughs> Remember we got hurt a few yeah. years back and all of a sudden the offense was like, oh, we're going to create some big plays now. Uh-huh. I mean, similar stuff's happening in Carolina. I'm not, I'm not saying they're like better without Christian McCaffrey, but sometimes offenses that don't rely just on their running back can open it up a little bit, unlock a DJ more, but whatever it might be. So anyway, um, the Falcons, they win. Credit them. They did They did drop back more than 15 times in this one. They Marcus probably, Mariota played pretty well. Yeah, they should probably throw the ball to Kyle Pitts some more. Yeah, Pitts turns out when they 80 do that, yards and a score. Yeah, turns out when they do that, it, it's good things happen. The Falcons remain fun, man. Playing, playing a different brand of football, and they do have some playmakers, right? Like Demir, when you have a Demir Bird showing off that speed with the with the big dudes and Kyle Pitts and Drake London on the outside, and can, you've got some playmakers. And they them. can apparently run against anybody. Like yeah. Carolina had the number one run defense in the NFL coming into this game. The Falcons had 165 rushing yards. Now, okay, it didn't. It be, when you face an elite run defense, sometimes you can get to that number, and it's going to require sort of. It's going to require a stat line that looks like Barry Sanders or Saquon Barkley. You know, you get a bunch of nothing, and then you pop one off for a big gain. That's kind of what was happening here, is that Atlanta was getting a lot of, nah, not so much, and then bam, big play, bam, big play. And that was that's what got them to 165. But, like, those plays count. Those It's just a different sort of flow to the rushing. But they can put up production against even elite run defenses. Guys like Kyle Pitts, Drake London, Jameer Bird, apparently – these are matchup problems. So, like, that is a fun offense. Let's go to Detroit. Miami Dolphins 31, Lions 27. Dolphins showing that explosive offense. It was a good back-and-forth battle and a great quarterback matchup in this one between Tua and Jared Goff. Goff it looks like Tua is going to end up with one of the best grades we've given, maybe in PFF history. Uh, I don't know what the final grade is going to be, but did not miss on many throws. The actual stat line finishes... 29 of 36 for Tua. That's over 80% completions, 382 yards, three scores, no picks. And uh, it felt like that. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle both go over 100 yards once again. Waddle finds the end zone twice. Other touchdown comes to Mike Gusecki. That was my favorite, well, one of my favorite throws from Tua. Anticipation, finding Mike Gusecki open in the end zone. We had criticized Miami's offense a little bit for like, hey, they're very efficient, but they're just not putting points up on the board. What's it what's what's it worth? I mean, this is easily the best they've looked since the second half against the Ravens back in week two. <laughs> this was such a weird game. Um at one point, so the first six possessions, 
Like, so Miami fumbles the ball right at the start. Uh, Detroit went down the field, scored. Miami fumbles the ball. Detroit score again. All of a sudden, like, one fumble, and Detroit's 14 nothing up, right? Miami's in a hole. Uh, but the first six possessions were five touchdowns and that fumble. So essentially, yeah. anytime either offense had the ball, they immediately went and scored a touchdown. This was the early season Lions. Yeah. Right? Um, and then, like, but Detroit, I don't think they scored in the second half. Again. It's like three straight games that the Lions haven't put up points. Yeah, it was 27 to 17 at the half. Yeah, and, and so because they were in a 14-point hole to start with, like Miami just kept marching down the field constantly. But despite Detroit stopping scoring, it felt like the Dolphins for the, like, the entirety of this game were just marching down the field, but they weren't ahead. And then, then finally kind of pulled ahead, and, and the Lions just kind of just stopped putting up points. But, yeah, like this was... I mean, Detroit doesn't have a good defense, and that Miami offense is both scheming people up and um, having incredible production because of them. I'm a little surprised at that too, a grade, because Tyreek Hill was making a lot of those plays on not perfectly placed passes deep down the field. Like, what was standing out to me is he is so good at the catch point for a guy his size, which is why he's the best deep threat in the NFL. Like, there's a lot of guys out there, maybe not with Tyreek Hill speed, but who have insane deep speed, right? And that yep. makes you a good deep threat. Like, the fact that you can just immediately, in a heartbeat, run past somebody, get two yards of separation, that's a problem. But what Tyreek Hill does is, okay, you get three yards behind the defense, you're running, it's a touchdown if the ball is in stride. If it's not in stride, though, a lot of the times the DB is going to make a play, break it up. Yeah, should have been a good play, but wasn't. Tyreek Hill will come back beat the guy at the catch point, and fix an inaccurate throw. Which, again, that, this was one of the reasons Randy Moss was a great deep threat, right? He had the speed to run right by you, but if you screwed it up, he would go and, quote-unquote, moss you. Like, he would beat you at the catch point as well and take the ball away from you. Tyreek Hill is a fraction of Randy Moss's size, but has similar traits of he will fix a lot of inaccurate throws. And there were a couple of plays there where he had guys beaten deep, uh, Tua left the ball short. Tyreek Hill came back and got it anyway. Like, that's what makes him the best deep threat in the NFL. Yeah, um, remember Mike Wallace? Remember yeah. Remember Mike Wallace? Wallace was not that guy. Correct. Right? Like, he would run by the defense. So it was a really good deep threat because yes. he could just run by you in every play. And if you threw it never. accurately, you'd, he'd catch it. I yeah. mean, he, he dropped a few passes, but, I mean, he'd catch it. It would be a touchdown. But if he was underthrown at all, right. any kind of physicality at the catch point. Yeah. I mean, we had this discussion a couple of years ago. What separates all these 4-3 guys historically? And it's exactly what you described, I think, from, from Tyree Kill. Um, he can make bad throws right and also just create that separation. So um, the Lions had their own Tyree Kill-esque player, Khalif Raymond. Mm. You know, back creating those big plays, three catches for 76 yards. He kept getting open behind the defense. You have TJ Hawkinson. He had a 58-yarder along the sideline, catch and run. Um, again, big play Lions offense until the second half, right, where it's, where it's completely different. You could tell, uh, could tell the frustration in Dan Campbell and – I don't know what's going to happen with this Lions defense, but the offense has still overachieved. Big picture, they have overachieved. They got shut out by New England, and you know they haven't been as good these last couple of weeks. They came back down to earth, but they created some big plays in this one. I know every team's beat up, so I'm going to say that the Dolphins were trotting out, you know, like undrafted free agencies, uh, free agent safety, Veron McKinley. I mean, the, the Dolphins were banged up in their back seven and everything. 
I know every team's banged up, and if I don't, if I don't say your team was unhealthy too, I apologize. So I, I think that was part of it with Miami, but they hung tough. Dolphins moved to five and three, and the Lions at one and six. I don't know what's going to happen with their defense, but they once again got absolutely picked apart and torched. Yeah, they're. I mean, so they had a group of guys where you, on paper you look at it and you say, this is a very intriguing collection of young pass rushers. Like there's a way, where, there's a world where these guys actually get a ton of pressure this season with Aiden Hutchinson, if he hits the ground running, the Aquaras, um, those def- the interior defensive linemen they drafted a year ago. Charles like, Harris. Yeah, like who had that kind of breakout last season. Um, like this is a collection that could really bring heat as a, as a collective. And it just hasn't. Like they, just, they do not get pressure a ton at all. Um, Aiden Hutchinson had a pretty good game. Uh, but he's the only one with more than one pressure. Yeah, and that's just against Miami, right? It's not like Miami has a good offensive line. So that's the problem. Remember we were saying, like, the process of what Detroit did over the last couple of years, perfect, loved it, but it still relies on getting the players you picked right. If you didn't get them right, if you didn't select the correct uh, additions and those guys don't develop – you know, in years two and three and take those steps forward so that the whole roster comes together as one. Like, if you just got it wrong from a personnel selection standpoint, all you did is waste a couple of years. And that's the frightening potential reality of what Detroit is looking at right now, which is we assembled all these young guys, we made commitments, we, you know, got a a bunch of guys that required development, and if they don't develop, now we just stink two years later on the same unit. So... That would be the worry for me if I'm looking at this Detroit defense. It's like it's it's laden down with these young guys, but they're not taking these big steps forward together. On the other side with um, with Tua, I mean, we'll see where the grade ends up and all that, but still a very good game for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's got four very good games and two not-so-good games. One of the not-so-good games was the Steelers last week in his return. But he's going to end the week. Uh, I think he's a top ESPN's QBR, which you know cares about air yards and you know t- not taking sacks, things like that. He's going to be near the top of our QB grades. We're talking Tua coming out of that draft class where he looked like the clear number three behind Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. Right now, grading better than those other two guys. Um, my favorite offseason narrative of how does Tyreek Hill affect things, we're, we're seeing it. I think we should revisit that on Wednesday. We did have one of our emails revisiting Tyreek to the Dolphins and Devontae Adams and A.J. Brown, all that movement. But um, as of right now, do you go and say, well, two has improved. It's it's year three. This is our guy going forward. Or it's like, eh, it's Tyreek. It's Tyreek and Waddle, and you got the speed, and it opens up everything else. And, I mean, we did see a little bit without Tua, and the offense was not nearly as good. I know it's Skylar Thompson. Mm. There's a difference, a little bit of Teddy. But two is looking really good, man. And I think, if he, I mean, if he plays like this, if he plays like a fraction of this with uh, some of the red zone consistency, yeah, then the Dolphins become no, I mean, very, very dangerous. I think they're 100% going to have bought into Tua off the back of this season if this continues. I mean, your, com- your comparison was um, Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Yes. And he's Right now he looks like Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe plus a little bit. But even if it's just Jimmy Garoppolo – Jimmy Garoppolo took the 49ers to a Super Bowl and was a player two away from winning one, right? And I would say that the primary driving force from them walking away from Jimmy G until, until they reversed was injuries. 
Like, this guy's just yeah. never there. If we could rely on him being there for 17 games a season, okay. It, now we know we can win. And the other part of it was, um, like, this year, I think two has got more turnover-worthy plays than big-time throws it, with Tyreek Hill on the field. Yeah. And it's because he's peppering the field with positive, positive, positive. Like, there's a lot of positives right. there. I mean, this was with Garoppolo, right? Like, he's, he's not from... flipping the field because of his arm strength or because of precision passing. But he's, cre- he's creating a lot of positive plays, in part because the offense is outstanding. He's gone from one end of the scale to the other in, in quarterback environment. So receivers, scheme, yeah. protection isn't complete two ends of the spectrum because that's still a work in progress. But he's gone from this system or the, the structure around Tua is so bad that I don't know that you can fairly evaluate him to now the structure is so good that it's propping him up. He's playing better. <laughs> but he's not playing as good as the sort of the overall stats will show. Um, one last note in this game. Lions rookie linebacker uh, Malcolm, Rodriguez, Re- Malcolm Rodriguez is really good. <laughs> like, it looks amazing. Um, at, again, remember, linebacker, this off-the-ball position that's so hard right now to come into the NFL and look like you know what you're doing, aside from anything else. He's making plays constantly. He's a, a real impact playmaker for them. Like, he looked good. This isn't going to be his best game in the world, but he he made some plays in this one as well against a, this offense that's basically schematically unstoppable right now. They were very excited about him coming out of camp. He was making a ton of plays there and um, did it in the preseason. So that could be a find, Malcolm Rodriguez, for the Detroit Lions. But uh, they fall to 1-6. and six. Uh, Even though Best Ball Mania has ended, Underdog Fantasy is still the easiest and most fun way to spice up your football season with their Pick'em game. Just look at your favorite or least favorite player stats. Pick whether you think they'll end up higher or lower. A lower total than the number in this week's game. You can win up to 20 times. uh, 20 times your money in a single night. Good reading, Steve. So... 20x your money. Go do it. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players for your pick entry. Get all your picks right, and you'll take home some cold, hard cash. It's simple to get started. Just head to underdogfantasy.com or download the app. Sign up with promo code PFF, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code PFF. Get in on the action today. Let's go Dallas Cowboys 49, Chicago Bears 29. Cowboys move to 6-2. and two. Bears unable to capitalize on that big Monday night win. They fall to 3-5. and five. Uh, But I think positives for both teams here. Maybe it's just the nature of a high-scoring game. But um, Dallas, effective offense for the first time maybe all season. The best offensive performance for them. Of course, there's a defensive touchdown in there as well. But the Bears also have to feel much better about the offense they're trotting out there. As they, they ran for 240 yards against this Cowboys defense. Yeah, Which that, we suggested maybe they could do. Like, if you're going to attack a weakness with Dallas, it'd be the run game. Yeah, look, that I think is huge for the Bears. They lost, okay, they got this closer than it should have been, and their offense functioned against a much better defense than we saw last week. Like, this is, I think, a significant development for Chicago, which is this new um, offensive structure actually building a, a, uh, an offense around Justin Fields, tapping into him as part of the design run game, all these things, all of a sudden this offense looks like it works, you know? Now, yeah. it looks more like I thought it would look at the in the offseason, which is Justin Fields playing pretty well, having production, and then getting let down by the fact that there's a, not a lot of talent around him. So specifically in this game, he had an absolute dime deep down the field to Vellis Jones, the rookie, drops it. That could have been a huge play, maybe a touchdown. I can't remember exactly where he was in relation to the goal line. 
Um, but that's a huge play that, that didn't exist uh, because he got let down. David Montgomery fumbles the ball away for what was a pretty key score ultimately late on on a play where Justin Fields, you know, breaks down, Fields makes something happen, find his guy over the middle. Should have been a really good positive play. You know, Justin Fields coming up good and then fumbled away. Um, the Bears' defense was just garbage. Like, it looked – the defense looked like it didn't give a crap. Like, it, it's sort of the cardinal sin to accuse, you know, NFL players of not actually trying, but they did not look like they were interested in this game. They, they looked slow. They looked lifeless. They looked like they were loafing play to play. And Dallas was just destroying them. Like the, Dallas picked up 25 yards and a quarterback sneak. That's how much movement they were getting at the line of scrimmage against the, this Bears defense. It was getting wrecked. But I think it's a huge and significant development for Chicago that this new offense that they are crafting randomly in the middle of the season is now two straight weeks looked dramatically different from the previous iteration. Yeah, uh, Chicago's team grade is going to end up somewhere in the low 40s run defense grade in the 20s absolutely wrecked up front as you mentioned linebacker level all of it was just um pretty bad but um on the other side i think encouraging for dallas man tony pollard we've been asking for more carries for, he's so good for tony pollard <laughs> for a while he forced uh, he runs for six first downs gets to the end zone uh three times was it three but yeah. uh six forced missed tackles on just 14 rush attempts i forget who uh who was saying it for the cowboys but basically like you can't arm tackle that guy right he does have that ability um the, like, he's explosive and elusive and man he, he so he finishes 14 carries for a buck 31 with the three scores i don't the the reluctance of some people to to just state the obvious that tony pollard should be the starter should be getting the majority of the workload here I don't understand why people are so against this. Like, Pass protection. No, because there's a variety of reasons that they all throw, and all of them are dumb, right? Number when Zeke one, gets 20 carries, what's the Cowboys' record? Right. Number one, pass protection. Is Tony Pollard worse than Zeke Elliott as a pass blocker? Yes. Is that reason to keep him off the field? No. They're, like When you look at how often each these guys are actually kept into pass block, it's such a small number of snaps. It's like three times a game. Are you telling me that three plays in a game is enough for you to keep this guy off the field? It's not like every one of those plays, he's blowing a block and getting his quarterback killed, right? You're asking him to do it three times a game, maybe one of those three. He goofs an assignment and it's a problem. But like we saw in this game, how much positive he's bringing to offset that. Hey, that's what ended Steve Young's career. Number two, by the way, Zeke, has not been tremendous in pass protection over the last couple of years. Like, it's not like we're talking perfect versus disaster. Anyway, number two, ah, Pollard can't handle the workload. He's only as productive as he is because he's spared and, you know, only asked to carry it a few times a game. Well, okay, in this game, he had eight carries in the first quarter and was just wrecking house. Ended up with 14, I think. So at the very minimum, the data suggests, let's find out where that line is, huh? Let's keep playing him until it becomes a problem that he can't, hack this kind of workload and then we can scale back let's not just assume he can't and stop like giving him carries even though it's productive um and number three you know you don't it's it's a bit more boom and bust you know you don't get those uh you don't get those negative plays in there with Zeke he's gonna plow forward and get you two yards even when there wasn't two yards there it's like all right but like who cares like the Zeke Elliott hasn't lost yardage much this season. Zeke would be stealing carries from uh, Barry Sanders. But he has been stuffed at the line quite a lot. So 
you have to draw a random arbitrary line of where you care about the failed run to determine that Zeke is the better option here. You know, you have to basically say that I don't care if it's second and 10, but I do care if it's second and 12. Why? I mean, those are the same pointless, ineffective, problematic first down run. You know what I mean? But the difference being with Pollard, there's a chance that he busts one off for 25 as opposed to something, you know, as opposed to the production that Zeke has been getting. So I, the the reluctance to just give Tony Pollard his due and say he's by far the best running back here. It's obvious the offense looks better when he's out there. Blows my mind. Just play the guy. He also just brings more brings more as a receiver. Of course. As far as the uh, He's better across the options. board with the one exception of pass protection, which isn't a big enough flaw to offset all the other things where he's obviously better. Dak looked good in this game. I mean, it was best he's thrown the ball since last year. Uh, interception looked like a miscommunication over the middle, but uh, everything else was good. C.D. Lamb was fantastic in this game. Um, one more thing on the Bears. I thought the O-line itself held up pretty well. Um, Justin Fields still ends up sacked four times, at least one on fields, one on a running back. I mean, for what it's worth, the Bears offensive line, which should not be pass protecting well, yeah, did, did well enough in this game. How much of it is is the fact that all you're doing is creating some indecision into the defense, right? It's a run-first attack, so that does help protect them a little bit, but I, will, again, I think there are encouraging signs for this Bears offense, as you said. I agree, um, and I think the fact that they're leaning into the run game, which is where this offensive line is better, is a good thing. I will also say, usually this is, I think, just a red herring, and people will complain about this every single week even when it's, when it's not true at all. The Bears were were allowed by the officials to get away with a lot of holding in this game. Like, there was one play where, I forget who it was, it wasn't Parsons, it was one of the other defensive ends, was fully around the tackle and then just tackled him. Like, literally, he's all the way around him. The, tackle, the defensive end is now bearing down on the quarterback from behind, and the tackle just grabs hold of him. And the official does nah, nothing. I don't see a thing. Play on, you know? The Bears were allowed to get away with it. Now, look, part of this... Every NFL game is understanding what the officials are calling and what they're not on that given day and adjusting. So kudos to the Bears for adjusting to the fact that exactly apparently holding was not going to get called in this game. But that's not going to happen every week. And when it doesn't, there's going to be a lot more pressure there. Uh, my other favorite little nugget from this game, it was a third and two. Uh, it was a run to Montgomery from the Bears. He gets he sort of makes a couple of little moves and then gets hit. He's like a yard short of the line. And then the four-fifths of the Bears' offensive line plows in from behind and drives him three yards over the line of scrimmage. I think it was Daryl Moose Johnson on commentary who was like, look at Montgomery there driving the pile forward, moving the legs. You're like, dude, 1,200 pounds just launched itself into the back of this pile. You don't think that had something to do with the movement? I find myself doing the same thing, in fairness, when I'm watching a game. And I'm just kind of like watching the pile and you see it move. And my instant, my brain says, good job running back. Yeah. Good job keeping your legs. Keep good. the legs churning. This dude's tough. Second effort. You, but then it takes like a second to go back and be like, oh, there were four guys pushing them. They showed, they showed the, the best part of that was, was. Good job, know, Matt Liner, keeping those legs moving on it, that QB it, sneak. It's, yeah. It's kind of one thing when it's, you know, live and this, it, you're far away. You don't have the best angle in the world because you're up in the booth, you know, and anything can be said at the heat of the moment, right? But then you get the sky cam replay of behind the play where you see him hit this brick wall, stop moving. And then you see four fifths of the Bears offensive line suddenly go, 
like launch themselves into it. You're like, that is literally 1,200 pounds more, in fact. It's probably 1,300 pounds of, of additional body weight that's just been launched into this thing. And all of a sudden it moves three yards and gets a first down. I might give credit to the big guys up front there. As we've said before, teams should be doing that more often. And I think they are. Like you could, you could sort of see the um, like the recognition of those Bears offensive linemen. Like this is stopped, but it's close enough to me that I can get in there and, and impact this. And four of the five guys literally hit that pile at the same time and got a first down that shouldn't have been there. New England Patriots twenty-two, New York Jets seventeen. I think it was the thirteenth straight win for the Patriots over the Jets. Patriots move to four and four. Jets fall to five and three. What a ridiculous game this was. Back and forth. Uh, Zach Wilson, every every bit of emotion if you're uh, just a player evaluator watching Zach Wilson getting away with the off-script type of stuff early, made some big throws, but man, it just didn't... There were just stretches of play where he doesn't make a throw from the pocket. It's I, just all over the place. He ends up with three interceptions, all of which were pretty bad. I don't know that I've ever seen a worse quarterback under pressure than Zach Wilson right now. Um Early in this game, it's like the first few drives. Like, oh, look, Zach Wilson's making some plays. He's doing some things out of the pocket. This is like, this is the game where he... Beautiful throw to Garrett Wilson up the sideline, 54 yards. It's like, this is the game where he positively regresses to the mean and all those pressure numbers that look so disgusting before this game are going to come back to normal a little bit. His grade's going to go up a little, and you, you get some glimmers of hope, you know? And it was also... Like, this was a chance for the Jets to not just win and get a, a kind of, you know, get a, an important win within the division and all the sort of basic bog standard stuff that it means, but like, you know, um, you know, cast the monkey off their back. Like, they, they've lost 13 straight against the Patriots now. Right. So 12 straight heading into this game. There's something psychological about that. Like, even if the, you know, the guys here, most of those guys haven't played in any of those games, whatever. If you've lost 12 straight to a team that had a dynasty for 20 years within your division, it means something more than that game to get that win. Oh, yeah. And he had a chance of doing that. And then after, like, a quarter, it just went up in smoke. And Zach Wilson went back to just, what are you doing under pressure? Um, I think it was Charles Davis on the broadcast who kept highlighting. It's like, look, the, the Patriots aren't the best team in the division any longer, but it does feel like the Jets have to to get over that hump, right? To to, to prove themselves. Um, and this is just by the so way, that they could go, you know, try to challenge the Bills twice yeah, this year and that's you the know, thing. compete. This is just for the privilege of being the third best team in the division, right? I mean, well, the Dolphins are in there too, but that's what I mean. So it's yeah. Buffalo, it's Miami. And then whoever wins this game has a shot at being the third best team. Like we're not we're not playing high stakes football here. This is just don't be the war, don't be the bottom dweller of this division by losing against the team that you should have beaten. So the game finishes twenty two to seventeen. New England's offense was also pretty bad. Mac Jones also not very good in this game. He gets sacked six times on about forty dropbacks, forty one dropbacks. But on top of that, there's a pick six that's negated. And this might have been the biggest play in the game. Mac Jones throws a pick six. I think it was near the end of the second uh, quarter. Negated by John Franklin Myers roughing the passer call. Yeah. Um, it looked like a legit call. He kind of it was. launched and himself. Zach, Zach Wilson was whinging about that call after the game Oh, as was well. he? It's like, dude. I didn't hear that. Have a little bit of self-awareness. You were horrendous. Yes. I mean, that, that play... That was one of those that's going to show up in PFF grade for Mac Jones, but not in the box score. I mean, he yeah. he basically 
was a little bit of a miscommunication on the outside, but it didn't matter which way the receiver communicated. He threw it right to the defender. Easy pick six. That gets negated. Patriots end up with three. The, the other interesting elements of that one, too, I think the Patriots gave up uh, a field goal late in the first half. Like, but Bill Belichick was being kind of aggressive on fourth and short. Uh, one time it led to it. Uh, the first time it, they turned it over, ended up getting the ball back, kicked the field goal. The second time they scored a touchdown on fourth and one. And um, the aggressiveness ended up paying off ultimately there. But that was interesting as far as Belichick and his decision making. The other guy to, that I want to highlight, Ramondre Stevenson, to all 240 pounds of him catching seven passes out of the backfield for 72 yards, just looking good as a runner, good as a receiver. There was talks about Damian Harris maybe being in trade talk or being uh, asked for in trades. Stevenson showing that he could maybe be their workhorse guy. Yeah, I mean, I would be asking for Damian Harris as well if I needed a running back and we we're heading to the trade deadline. He's a good player, but Ramondre Stevenson is playing fantastically right now. Let me read you Zach Wilson's pl- uh, stats under pressure in this game. Bring it. So he scored a touchdown under pressure and still wound up with a passer rating of 31. That's what we're talking about here. 16 attempts. Four completions, which is higher than his baseline this season. 87 yards, which is way better than he normally manages. That's 5.4 yards per attempt as opposed to 1.7, which is his baseline this season. One touchdown, three interceptions, uh, two sacks, a passer rating of 31. Here's the thing that blows my mind with Zach Wilson, though, and this is consistent for him so far in his career. Average depth of target under pressure? What do you think? Like a million? Uh, Mac Jones, for example, (sighs) 8.1. 14.1 for Zach Wilson. What are you doing? Stop. Stop trying to make those insane big plays, particularly when you're heaving them right to defenders. Um, like, I've, I genuinely can't think of a worse quarterback under pressure at the moment. He threw an interception just trying to throw the ball away. That's, How that, hard is that? That's, there was a stretch of the game where I, I tweeted it out. It was like, why does it feel like every pass is being released like a yard from the sideline. It just felt like over and over. And it wasn't the, the, the instant response is, well, the, the offensive line is terrible. Yes, they are they're in shambles up front as far as the injuries and what they've had to deal with. Elijah Vera Tucker's out for the season and all these other guys are hurt. A lot of this pressure is like when other quarterbacks step up just a little bit, he's vacating backwards. And he's making his pocket movement looks fun. I mean, it's fun, but it's, it's going to nowhere, right? So there's a, there's a point in the game where he is scrambling all over the place, and he's just got, like, the most exciting incompletions in the NFL. Like, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? But there was, there's very few points. Like, when Mahomes is doing that, you're kind of, like, holding your breath. Like, oh, my gosh, he's going to throw the ball back across his field, pinpoint to someone. When Zach Wilson's doing it, you just kind of hope his throwaway goes out of bounds. And one time it didn't, and it got thrown away right to Devin McCourty for an interception. The other time, it was inaccurate enough that you could call it a throwaway, but it was an overthrow for another interception. So, yeah, when you have that many plays outside of structure with very little payout, it is just a very difficult way to play quarterback. And his, like, yes, his offensive line is bad, but... He wasn't under pressure that much in this game, like 41, 42%, something like that, um, much of which he was a part of bringing on himself. You know what I mean? So, I, yeah, the offensive line, it, it's a reason it's not an excuse to me. Like, it's definitely impacting it. It's definitely making it worse. But it's not explaining why Zach Wilson is looking this horrendous under pressure. Um, 
like it was just so bad. Like the the interception thing while trying to throw the ball away is just inexcusable. I mean, look, the first interception was ugly, but he just missed the throw. He just sailed it over a guy's head um, whilst running around. It was inaccurate. It happens. It's bad. Yeah, but the, even just the footwork on that whole I know. thing, man. Like, I'm I not mean, saying I, it's I, good. I, I got to go back. I'm sorry to interrupt. I got to go back and like take away all my my pre-draft takes that I like that he did that, right? We all got caught up in Patrick Mahomes has been doing this. Aaron Rodgers has been in the league for a while. Look at these off-platform throws. Look at this uh, pro day flip of 60 yards for Zach Wilson. And it's like, do that once in a while when you need to. Just step into a throw. Um, the, The one line that I wrote in my scouting report of Zach Wilson that said, I don't like the attention to details, the little stuff. And, and sometimes that just gets exaggerated when it, across like a guy's career. That's what it feels like with Zach Wilson. Just set your feet and make the throw. What it feels like is a lot like the Baker Mayfield analysis, which is Zach Wilson, like he was barely under pressure in college. Um, and then you had a bunch of these plays where he looked like Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes, where he's running around trying to make some crazy stuff happen. And it's like, well, that's fine. But what happens when you scale up? the volume of pressure he's under. This is like Baker Mayfield. Yeah. When you suddenly scaled up the pressure that he was under or scaled down the percentage that his wide receivers were open. So Baker Mayfield's numbers when his receivers were covered tightly in college were really good. But what happens when you scale up that number? Like what happens when instead of being tightly covered like 10% of the time, they're tightly covered 40% of the time? All of a sudden, his performance in those situations gets dramatically worse, even on a like rate basis. You know, his accuracy got worse. Essentially, one's comparing like to like because it doesn't scale. I think that's true with Zach Wilson as well. Where what happens when you simply his performance under pressure in college was fine, but he was barely under pressure. What happens when you simply increase the number of plays where he's under pressure? We, we've screwed that up too. I, our, the analysis, the the interpretation of the data has been off. Well, that's what I'm saying. That, like, under pressure stuff doesn't matter when... Because the other thing is, him going... Zach Wilson coming out of BYU is like a high school quarterback going from 7-on-7 seven seven to playing in college football. That's how good the offensive line was. Because he had... He, he could maneuver any which way. Yeah. He, didn't ha- he didn't even feel... He didn't have to feel pressure What I'm saying all. is, that stuff simply doesn't scale. So you can't simply look at it and say, well, in this situation, he actually performs well... If you're dealing with a percentage, it's like 3% of plays versus 40. It, it doesn't translate. So you, you kind of have to, you have to put a pin in it and say this is a complete unknown. So for Wilson, dialing up that number of plays skews into bad habits. And those bad habits become massive problems because it's suddenly 40% of his snaps instead of like 5%. The, it is a real point. I mean, we made this point uh, when we talked about this on Wednesday, right? That like... We have pushed the idea that play from a clean pocket is more important than play under pressure because it's more stable, it's more predictable year to year. It is the thing. Bigger sample. Yeah, yeah. But we also made the point on Wednesday that like the extremes are significant, right? And no amount of play, like you could change, you can adjust the inputs, like offensive line gets better, he's under pressure less, this is a good thing. But no amount of screwing with the inputs would have made Rex Grossman a viable NFL quarterback because the dude was horrendous under pressure. Zach Wilson right now is sitting in a bucket with Rex Grossman, Mark Sanchez, Blaine Gabbert, Blake Bortles, quarterbacks that were awful under pressure. That is important because at that extreme, there's almost no salvaging that.
So it's like, yes, the fact that he's playing great from a clean pocket is, an, is a significant data point and worth keeping an eye on, but it's not necessarily outweighed by the extreme of how bad he is under pressure right now, which is what looks like crippling. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing, too, is I've always used the Nick Foles comparison, where like when Nick Foles starts, it feels like half of his throws are, are when he's getting hit. But, but if you were identifying his trait... You would say Nick Foles will stare down the gun barrel, as they say, right? He will he will make a throw while getting hit, and this is where we talk about pressure volatility. Nick Foles will stare it down, and he'll, he's not afraid of anything. And sometimes it leads to an incredible big time throw, and other times it like the ball pops up and it's intercepted, right? I'm oversimplifying here, but the trade is he stands in there under pressure. With Wilson, part of this and others. It's identifying the traits in pressure. While sometimes the stats might work in his favor over time, like over short periods of time, the trait is he doesn't do what quarterbacks should do when they face pressure, right? It's scrambling around, it's vacating backwards, and over time, more bad things are going to happen than good, right? I'm not saying Nick, like Nick Foles, like you can understand how he'll have stretches of play where the volatility works in his favor. With Wilson, it's going to be tough to see that because the style that he brings to the table is just not what you want from quarterbacks. Yeah. That's, um, that's my take. Patriots moved to 4-4. Four and four. I, I think they, they took advantage of Wilson's plays. The Jets' defense still looks absolutely fantastic. Uh, New England pass game, very inconsistent. Mac Jones, like I said, the negated interception, had a fumble in there where he double-clutched, had to, uh, got sacked the six times. The Jets are good, man. They're good defensively. They are tough. They also, what they elevate? Mike White yeah. as their backup? Deactivated uh, Joe Flacco. Mike White was the backup. He said something like, well. And Chris Strebler was like going to yeah. be, but he was like going to be elevated for some trickeration or something like that. And then that His, got the, nixed late. The reasoning, reason. I think, is sound, kind of. I mean, he was saying, look, Mike White's a young guy. We kind of want to see what we have in him if it gets to that point, which... It's kind of a shot across the bow, I think, to Zach Wilson of, dude, you better pull yourself out of this. Otherwise, we're going to start looking elsewhere on the roster, let alone next year. Flacco wasn't a disaster when he played. He wasn't no, but, great, he's, but, but, it, but I, I'm surprised that they haven't considered going to Flacco, given how good the defense is But they is know, like, even with the most optimistic outlook in the world, you know that you're not contending this year, right? Particularly within this division. The Bills are running away. The Dolphins but you can sneak good. at 5-3. and three. We're halfway through the season-ish. Not anymore because of 17 games. But... You can sneak into the playoffs if you're the Jets. Maybe, but they know like it's. You not. do have two games against the Bills pending. Yes, including next week. By the way, if you think Zach Wilson's been bad under pressure so far, let's see what it looks like against the best pass rush in the NFL. Anyway, my point being, like, I think it's a reasonable thing of self awareness to look at this and say, look, Joe Flacco has no purpose on this team long term. We're not looking for this year, really. So let's exhaust all options on the guys that might actually be parts of the future and then god knows what we're going to do a quarterback next year and beyond all right philadelphia eagles 35 pittsburgh steelers 13 the eagles move to seven and zero. steelers fall to two and six with a quick turnaround for the eagles they'll be back here on thursday night uh how about philadelphia and houston well uh, world series man mm. world series and we've got their thursday night football game but uh, Jalen Hurts goes 19 of 28 for 285, four touchdowns, three of which came to A.J. Brown. Zach Pascal gets the other touchdown in there. And this was the, uh, the A.J. Brown game. 
Yeah. Just like I could pull, just like, so the Titans every week have this like unknown defender, right? Who's going to have this incredible game. The Eagles have these big name players. You know, who's it, who's it going to be this week? Is it Devonte Smith? Is it Miles Sanders? Is it the offensive line? Is it AJ Brown? This week it's AJ Brown just being unstoppable. And they were, they were getting greedy, man. They were trying to get him four and five touchdowns at times later in the game, but he had three early and often and uh, another dominant outing for the Eagles. It really was, yeah. And I, I love games where there's there's one play right at the start that's a really pivotal play. Like if it happened in the fourth quarter late in the game with you know things in the balance, you'd be like, wow, that's the, that's the pivotal play of this game. But it happens in the first quarter sometime, like first couple of drives, and nobody even remembers it because... But you do. It's in I, your notes. I, I do. Uh, the Eagles converted a fourth and short right at the start of this game and ended up scoring on a touchdown, the first touchdown to A.J. Brown after that. Um, and like, what if, what if Pittsburgh had held on that fourth and short, all of a sudden the Eagles don't just roll on offense to start the game. Uh, Kenny Pickett gets to play the game from like a reasonable, uh, game flow situation. And we're talking about totally different game, but the Eagles put a stamp on it early. Now they're chasing the whole way and the Eagles just keep stomping away. And it's a, it's a blowout, right? That game that we said doesn't really happen to Pittsburgh of, like the big covering or covering double digit point spreads well it happened and a big part of it I think is because of that fourth down but that first touchdown to A.J. Brown that's a throw that Jalen Hurts doesn't make next last year I don't he doesn't attempt that throw last year and to be honest he probably shouldn't have because it was like into double coverage with the safety over the top but this is why you do attempt throws like that because you have guys like A.J. Brown who can go make a Fitzpatrick over the top of this. Pfft, I don't care. I'm going to go get it anyway. Went up, took the ball away from Minka, which, by the way, like, you know, the Minka Fitzpatrick thing, why does Minka Fitzpatrick not great as well as, you know, you think he should? Plays like this happen. Anyway, A.J. Brown goes up, justifies the faith he had in him, takes that away, touchdown, puts the Eagles in a great situation. The second and third touchdowns to Brown were Perfect. absolute dimes Beautiful. from Jalen Hurts. But certainly that first one and maybe the you know one of the other ones he's not putting that ball in the air last year because he just doesn't he doesn't have the trust in those receivers he knows that aj brown is the kind of guy that will make that throw fine even if it's not the touchdown it's not a problem because brown will make sure that's not bad one of the things i haven't looked into that might be worthwhile we looked at this broadly a couple years ago like when quarterbacks throw to certain receivers do they make more big time throws Right. I, I pride our, I, I pride myself. We pride ourselves on saying, hey, we're isolating the quarterback from the receiver all the time, whatever. But I think we saw we've seen historically like Rogers throwing to Devontae Adams or Brady throwing to Gronk or whoever it might be. Big time throw rate is even higher. Right. I mean, there's a lot of times in Brady and Gronk's connection through the years where you're like, wow, Gronk is incredible. And then other times it's like, wow, how did Brady put that ball into a perfect spot where only Gronk could get it. And I feel like you get this from quarterback receiver connections when the receiver's really good. So the question I'm asking, does the confidence, having that confidence in an A.J. Brown, does that bring out, does that make it more likely that not only are you going to hit those two dimes, but also the one that's essentially like a jump ball between A.J. Brown and the safety, every now and again, your guy's going to come down with it, and boom, you just you stole a touchdown. So... Jalen Hurts has gotten better this year, statistically, uh, um, grade-wise, the same way Tua has. How much of that is just having the confidence yeah. to make those high-value throws? And it's not as simple as, we'll just throw a jump ball, right? We separate the pure jump ball from the dime, right? From the big-time throw. 
but you're going to have more big time throws over time because you're taking these chances with A.J. Brown. I think it's a great point by you because what was the criticism of Jalen Hurts? Throw it when the guy's open, right? Take those open throws. Now he's taking unopened throws, and he's still having success there. When he gets the open throw, he's taking it as well and, and, and there, throwing it. Great. There's a huge amount of it. And this is why, you know, as much as we say we try and separate the quarterback play, the throw he's making from the environment, it's why there's always dependency. Because what you can't do is factor in the throws that he never even attempted because he doesn't trust any of his receivers. This is the Aaron Rodgers thing this year, right? Is Rodgers playing particularly well? No. But how much is how much of Rodgers' decision-making and reluctance to make plays right now is because he simply doesn't trust any of the receivers to be in the right place at the right time and therefore is not even putting the ball in the air? A huge amount. That is the issue. Like, this is why, and, and it works in, in reverse, right? How many of these plays... Are they putting in the air and taking shots because they trust the receivers and the receivers are making plays? Like, that is a massive interdependency that there's no way of factoring into grades, but you see the impact of it in the grades when those changes happen. Steelers trying to really showcase Chase Claypool's skill set. He's got the uh, one yard touchdown pass heading into the trade deadline. A really here. nice, creative play. Was Javon Hargrave, revenge game. Ironically, dialed up like, at an almost completely pointless time for no reason but there's creativity in that offense all of a sudden yeah I mean if you're you mentioned early I mean the, the, the Eagles dominated early um, they did one of those things again though where they kind of slowed down a little bit after after getting up um, but Javon Hargrave pressure and Kenny Pickett fumble in the pocket I mean that just thwarted any comeback attempt yeah. late in this game high ankle sprain for Jordan Davis that sucks yeah one is I just love watching that dude play because he's yeah. so he's so different right just like watching Trayvon Walker and watching that development hopefully he'll be hopefully he'll be all right so the Eagles are going to come back here on uh, Thursday night yeah they, you see they're already in the recovery they're on the bikes in the locker room to get ready for Thursday are they yeah as soon as the game finished the whole team was like on the the recovery bikes doing their stuff whilst the reporters are like in the locker room you know gotta get ready for Thursday guys gotta get it Going to be three sure week. Half, going to be three and a half touchdown favorites over the Texans on Thursday night. Got to get ready for that. All right, New Orleans Saints twenty four, Las Vegas Raiders nothing. I mean, literally nothing. No points. They didn't get over no the halfway snaps line. over the fifty until late in the fourth. Yeah. It was just terrible. Derek Carr did not get over the fifty yard line. Correct. It had to wait until what is it? Jared Stidham yeah. got in the game before they. They crossed the 50-yard line. I don't know if both of these passes would have had them cross, but like the the highlight of the Raiders' offense was two near plays, right? <laughs> Mac Hollins along the sideline. Yeah. He kind of stuttered. Maybe could have, it ends up dropping it. It gets popped uh, along the sideline. And Devontae Adams has one where he steps out of bounds, barely um, similar type of whole shot type of throw. Yeah. The Saints um, were trying to – the Saints are funny, man, right? Like they haven't played like this all season defensively. But they've always been capable. They, yeah. they, they're capable of doing this. They've been underachieving, and then they finally didn't underachieve. Like that defensive line in particular, they, we've been saying all year long, there's so much talent on that group. Yeah. They have one of the most talented defensive lines in the NFL, but they're like second or third from bottom in pressure rate. They just haven't been showing up. One of the, one of the questions I have, so Dennis Allen used to be the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. Dennis Allen revenge game. So they, but they were... The Saints were like talking about this, right? Like they were into this. Like we're gonna, we're not gonna win it for Dennis, but you know we're, you know, doing it for Dennis basically. And they just come out and just play this incredible game. Last year when they shut the Bucks out on Sunday Night Football, 
it, they were re- they were doing it for Jameis. Like they were all under their jerseys wearing Jameis shirts. Yeah. And even though Jameis was hurt, right. it was like this big revenge game. What is it about the Saints that they pick and choose when they're going to play like this? Because the story of the Saints is the Falcons are going to drop 30 on them every single week, no matter what, no matter how bad the Falcons might be offensively. But they're going to go up and they're going to shut down the box or they're going to step up for Dennis Allen. It was just fascinating to me that they had such a good game that they've been capable of all year and they just dropped it this week. And remember, Marshawn Lattimore is like a classic he's only interested in like three games a season type of guy. You know, When Mike Evans the, is there. The two against Mike yeah. Evans, and then there'll be one other dude. That Some other big-bodied receiver. Right. Yeah. But like, if you could just get that guy for, every, for 17 games, you'd have the best cornerback in the NFL. The entire Saints team seems to be like that for some reason. They are, they are one of those teams that's like specifically motivated for individual games. And if you could just figure out how to unle- unlock that, you'd be talking about a Super Bowl contender. Um, what I, I There's something fascinating to me about um, every now and again, you just see a sort of freak athlete, size, whatever, that reminds you that there are levels to this kind of thing. Like we posted a picture, or I posted a picture on social media, the, the group photo we took from the Reds Stadium, great, yeah. the, the ballpark. And it's four normal sized people and you, right? And somebody tweeted back at me. It was like, every time I see this, uh, Steve, I think of this scene from Commando. It was like, that's one gigantic MFR, you know? Like, yeah, people think I'm five foot two, but it's not. I'm normal size and you're not, right? Correct. And every now and again, every now and again you're reminded of the sheer, like, giant difference in size or strength or speed or physicality or whatever between people. It's a different world, right? So I keep, you know, I've talked before about all the, all the things you need to factor in weight limits for, you know? But in this game, like, you know, Devontae Adams is a normal-sized NFL wide receiver, prototypical size, speed, whatever. There was a play where they, I think they ran a jet sweep to him, and Marcus Davenport on the end just caught him. Like, just literally, Devontae Adams tries to kind of cut and jump inside of him. He just caught hold of him in midair and went, nope, no further. Like, (laughs) just the, the idea that a guy is that freaking big and strong that you can catch a guy as big and strong <laughs> as Devontae Adams midair yeah. and just immediately halt the play is nuts. I mean, Marcus Davenport listed at 6'6", 265. I'm, I'm, I'm taller and I weigh more. I could probably... You could probably catch me. Do the same. Yeah. I, maybe I could catch Devontae. But I, I used to think maybe of this not. before, you know, with, with NFL offensive linemen. You're like, those guys are so big and strong that if I took like a running jump at them, they would just catch you in midair. Like, it wouldn't, you wouldn't even move them, you know? Yeah. Like, how ins- like, I don't know. Every now and again, you see these plays in the NFL where you're reminded of just the sheer freakiness of some of these athletes. And what did you, to, what did you say it was 6'6", 265? Yeah. Like, it's easy to just sort of hear that, and it goes into your abstract, you know. It he goes- feels bigger than that, though. He feels like 6'8", but forget, like, 300, even if he is that, Davenport. Forget it. Let's assume that's exactly what he is. It's easy to just put that in abstract terms or file it away in just your Rolodex of, like, stats. But, like, think about what 6'6", 265 of pure muscle actually is. Yeah. And you see it on plays like that. We're like, that guy is capable of things that you can't even dream of. And every now and again, he'll break one out in a game and do it against another freak athlete. The other guy I wanted to highlight is the other freak athlete on the other side, Peyton Turner who was a first-round pick in 2021. I think the last time we talked about him was probably week one where he didn't look any good. No, the last time we talked about him was when he was a healthy scratch for a game and didn't even Oh, is that what it was? I mean, he was on his way to being a disappointment. This was his – this might be his highest-graded game in his very limited career so far. He hasn't even played 300 snaps in his career. 
but he's got three decent graded games in limited samples just throwing that out there he would he looked pretty good yeah he was making plays. in this one as well um yeah marcus davenport he i forget who it was when it, when we were scouting him though coming out of utsa it might have been the north texas quarterback now because that guy was there forever <laughs> there was some quarterback who's like five eight and davenport was unblocked and which is bad yes and he sacked him and you just on tape you saw the quarterback just disappear like he just engulfed him quarterback disappeared i'm like davenport davenport's fun man and he does he does feel huge even on an nfl field so look i, I don't know what to make of it the saints moved to three and five yeah yeah the, the north texas quarterback was mason fine i think it was him that davenport tackled but fine was there forever um there was a report after this game that there was another lengthy post-game meeting between Raiders owner Mark Davis and first-year coach Josh McDaniels in McDaniels' offense. And his offense? In or his in office. In his office. Okay. That's all I'm saying. <sighs> this is why the NFL's tough, man. Didn't it feel like the Raiders were finding their groove? Well, it, I mean, we're, we're anti-build your team around the run game and all that stuff, but it felt like they were starting to get Josh Jacobs going, get the play-action game, and then you have a game like this where it's just a train wreck. Yeah, but it was always like, are they actually fixed, or is this just a couple of weird games, and it yeah. turns out they're not fixed. So going back to George, Pay- George Payton's point, had the, if the Raiders weren't uh, burying these games at 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock, these, right, these bad games this year, yeah. Would that narrative, I mean, the, the Derek Carr, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr doesn't bring the same emotional response as Russell Wilson. Sure. But the Raiders have been worse yeah, overall and, than and the Broncos, right? Yes. And when you think that they were sort of they're basically comparable, we thought both of these teams would be contending for the playoffs in, in the toughest division in football and two of the top 10 teams in the NFL. Well, the Broncos are three and five and the Raiders are two and five. One of the yeah, you're right. It 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 does appear like a disproportionate um, sort of volume of disaster porn for one team than the other. Like we are writing eulogies at the whole Denver thing now. Okay, Russell doesn't help, but it's all disastrous. Whereas the Raiders is kind of quietly disastrous. But I, honestly, a big part of that is probably Derek Carr isn't doing high knees on the plane on the way to the last venue. I mean, this is another one. The Raiders, um, Raiders fans wore me down this offseason that I started believing in them. And I, I, I believed in the wide receiver one narrative. They're the one team where it just certainly hasn't worked, right? We see Tua and Hurts essentially become MVP candidates, just using that phrase, right? Like, at the end of the day, they're, good, they're, they're one of the better, sti- sure. two of the better statistical quarterbacks in the league right now with Tyree Kill and A.J. Brown coming in. And I thought Carr would be able to get that same bump from Devontae Adams. Mm-hmm. Now, I wonder if it's... Adams is more of a technician and less of a physical freak like the other two. And the technician has to be on the same page with Carr. We, we, I'm going off the rails, but we get criticized for highlighting just misplays or something, like people that don't really understand the process that we do here. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying there's a lot of just misplays between Adams and Carr, right? Like Monday Night Football, Adams barely doesn't get that second foot down in a comeback attempt against the Chiefs, where if he does... The Raiders might pull that upset. Yesterday, along the side, I'm not saying this changed the game. I'm just saying along the sideline, they just missed on a connection. Is that a part of the Carr Devontae thing where, like, they need to be more technically sound? Whereas, you know, Tyree Kill is going to run behind the defense and Jalen Hurts is going to throw jump balls to A.J. Brown. It's just going to work. You know, maybe that's part of the dynamic where it might take more time with, with Carr and Devontae Adams. But anyway, 
Raiders look pretty bad in this one. Saints step it up, and man, if they play defense like that, dude, they're they're as tough as we thought they would be earlier in the year. Alvin Kamara can, in fact, score touchdowns. Still, three of them in this game. Yeah, two two as a receiver. One on the ground, Andy Dalton still playing solid ball. Another Taysom Hill game. 10 carries, 61 yards. Just make him the running back. Stop. Why? I don't know. Yeah, that was, after, that was more in the second half, right? When they I don't understand why we're still lining him up as quarterback to give him these carries. Like, just give him, put him in the backfield. Why don't you understand that? Because there's no purpose to it. It changes the math, dude. It doesn't. It changes the box count. It doesn't. It changes everything. It doesn't. It it's does. not changing anything. Nobody is respecting any threat of the pass. They're not lining up with an extra guy deep because Taysom Hill's the quarterback. They're lining up exactly the same way as if he was the tailback. And every it's now and not again, changing. he'll hit a pass. Yeah. So what you're saying is the reason for this happening is the one completion for two yards that he had. That's what we're claiming here. There was a 21-yarder a couple of weeks ago. Okay. So in the last couple of weeks, we got two passes for 25 yards. That's your claim that's why it's happening minnesota vikings 34 arizona cardinals 26 the vikings move to six and one cardinals also fall to three everybody's three and five cardinals fall to three and five here um this one was t- I, I was trying to write down notes on this one and i was like don't forget this turnover don't forget this turnover don't yeah. forget this turn it felt like every big play that was going to turn the game didn't turn the game because then the team just turned it over once again and it happened in the last five minutes yes like the and they all happened the Second fourth half. quarter was just constant turnovers from one team to the next. Yeah, Kyler had a couple bad interceptions in there. Um, quick takeaway on the Cardinals. I mean, they still look much better with DeAndre Hopkins. He goes 12 yeah. catches for 159 and a score. Again, lining Everything up Everything opens up. Yeah, everything opens up with DeAndre Hopkins With there. one of the catches of the season, by the way. Yes. Like Harrison Smith had him absolutely blanketed in the end zone. Kyler just goes, I'm going to put it there anyway. And Nuke snags it out of the air one-handed. Despite the contact, beautiful touchdown catch. I could see it, man. I could see it. We have people in the chat, by the way, saying Tom Brady to the uh, to the Raiders. Hmm. I'm going to derail this thing one more time, really quick. Brady and Giselle finalized their divorce on Friday. Do you think that makes it more likely that Tom Brady actually comes back to play? And next year, yes, in the couple spots, <laughs> that kind of makes sense. <laughs> he wants to be a Bay Area guy, right? Sure. Yeah. San Francisco is loaded with playmakers. He wanted to go there previously. It has to make And the it... Raiders, he wanted to go there previously. He wants to go to where his buddy, Josh McDaniels, is there, and yeah. McDaniels might have to save his job in year two. I mean, it has to make it more likely, right? You can't make it less likely. I think it's more likely. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, at because... this point, you're like, well, I've already burned the bridge, so I might as well, you know, yeah. keep going. Like, he might now play till he's 50. I want to see that. At the end of this season, it might feel like it's 2019 where it's like, hey, this is bad, yeah, blah, yeah, blah, but, blah. But, you know, I, but I'm still physically okay. Right. And he put me in the right situation. Which is the key for both. Like, Brady still looks physically fine. As much as people are like, ah, he's done. Rogers showed last night that he's still capable of firing a freaking dime deep down the field. Like, for it, sure. Physically, those guys are not declined. Physically, they're the same as they were last year when one of them was an MVP and the other one led the league in PFF grading, right? Everything around them is worse. Yes. Anyway, just uh, just throwing that out there as uh, the offseason could be interesting here. This game featured the hilarity of Kirk Cousins scrambling into the open field and rushing for a touchdown. Poor Zach Allen, number 94. I mean, he, he needs to retire now. Let me just be the first to say that on that play, Kirk Cousins was sneaky fast. 
He wasn't, though. Like, he wasn't. I thought he hit the corner pretty well. No, no, he didn't. Like, Zach Allen, who was chasing him out of the pocket and then just sort of fell over, he, he I mean, that's going to be a rough meeting for him when they go over the tape because you got outrun and then, you know, left in the dirt by Kirk Cousins, who looks like the most, like, do you know those plays where Tom Brady all of a sudden sees 50 yards of open real estate and starts lumbering forward into, like, that's what Kirk Cousins looked like, except he had to do, like, into the flat and then turn the corner for was the Allen, touchdown. Was it, like, third and two or something like that, right? And it felt like Allen was like, save the first down, save the first down, and he realized, like, if he had just taken an angle to, like, cut him off, like, you know, give up the first down, <laughs> cut him off at five here. But even the idea of I have, to, I have to take an angle to catch Kirk Cousins is pretty depressing. Yeah. Zach's having a breakout season. Now, don't don't trash him too much. Here. I'm just saying this this you no, that's bad. Um, Arizona now are 13 straight games without an opening drive touchdown, which is the longest streak in the NFL. Remember, like there's a thing that's now. Interesting. There's a thing now that Kyle Shanahan's uh, performance or the 49ers' offense performance on the scripted plays is like off the charts. And then as soon as he gets off the script, it nosedives, and you get a completely different level of production. I mean, like if Cliff, who's been taking a lot of criticism for his sort of general work as a head coach, this is the script. The script is 0-13 in the last 13 games. That's not good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. Arizona is at least, they're at least creating some more big plays. Rondell Moore getting behind the defense for a touchdown. They're creating some more big plays. If Rondell Moore only played the Vikings, he'd be like a top five player in the NFL. Yes. Um, Cardinals defensively, a sneaky good pass rush, both in this game and throughout the season. You get Isaiah Simmons snuck in there for a strip sack. I mean, that was one of those big plays where it's like, all right, Arizona's coming back. All right, Arizona's coming back. But um, well, playing their run defense was just atrocious, too. And you saw that Alex, yeah, Cousins had the scramble for a touchdown, but Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison both ran the ball extremely well. Both guys found the end zone, and Arizona really just lost the battle up front when they needed to win. Playing uh, against rookie Ed Ingram basically rejuvenated J.J. Watt in this game. Like, Watt had his best game of the season, had a bunch of pressure, seven of them, I think, had a really good pass rushing grade. He hasn't, like, quietly, he's been very, very average this season. Like, even even in the um, the sense or the, the, the scale of J.J. Watt not being what he once was, like, this year has been very average. But Ed Ingram... The Vikings have struggled to guard for years. Ingram is at least a good run blocker, so he's got that going for him, which is more than you can say for the guys they've had there the last couple of years. But he's pretty overwhelmed as a pass protector at this point in his rookie season, and going up against guys like J.J. Watt was just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, so Ingram's got the poor pass blocking grade. Across the board, everywhere else, solid, man. I mean, we're still getting mostly good offensive line play from the Vikings run blocking in particular was really good up front like I'm saying they they won the battle against Arizona ran the ball when they needed to Justin Jefferson so good again at the catch point you know showing that on a couple plays Cousins was solid Christian Darasaw was fantastic at left tackle for the Vikings he just continues to get better and better man the uh Greg Joseph went for a long field goal and uh, kicked it right into the defensive tackle's face yeah it's never good so, you know, it's one thing to have a kick blocked because the guy got his hand up, but when you hit it right <laughs> into his head, like think how much extra, that, that's how much lower that was than it should have been, you know? There's a large amount of space between a guy's face and his outstretched hand when he's like six foot four. That's an underused strategy, kick it into his face. Vikings move to six and one. 
their only losses to the Eagles. And that was in prime time. Yeah. And it was a beatdown. So the Vikings, they legit yet? Feeling good about them yet? No. I mean, they're, they're taking control of the division. They look almost certain to be a playoff team. But what happens when they face the Eagles again? That would be so that's like I think that's the question for a lot of these teams that are sort of looking okay is you know are you legit in terms of like the Vikings were not necessarily expected to make the playoffs this year they're going to make the playoffs that makes them legit but the Eagles the Bills these are the best teams in the NFL when the Vikings play one of those what happens they get wrecked right like they're so in those terms they're not legit well there we go six and one for the Vikings. Yeah. Looking good. They're solid across the board, man. I'm going to reiterate that. We've got back-to-back. Uh, Patrick Peterson comes back. Or he's, well, back-to-back good games for Patrick Peterson. The uh, Nate Yankee was tweeting about how, you know, there are certain teams where it's like any given week, anybody could pop off and be the, the best guy for their fantasy purposes or the leading rusher, the leading receiver. Like, the Vikings are just by the numbers every week. Like, Dalvin Cook, leading rusher. Alexander Madison, second rusher. Leading receiver, Justin Jefferson, second receiver. Adam, Adam Thielen. Thielen. For a while, it was K.J. Osborne as the third receiver, and it ended up being Dalvin Cook. But, like, you can basically predict the Vikings' box score before every, any game heading in, and there's like, there's something to that. But I think around the periphery, the line's gone better. You know, a lot of pieces have just been solid yeah. in Minnesota. And solid in today's NFL will win some games for you. Sure. All right. I think that's all the one o'clock games in the London game. Is that all of them? Looks like it. Tennessee Titans 17, Houston Texans 10. Malik Willis made his debut, by the way. Yes. Six for 10 for 55 yards and a pick. But it didn't matter. Derrick Henry once again goes over 200 yards, two scores against the Houston Texans. The Titans finished with 314 yards on the ground. And they didn't even use Malik Willis. They didn't even tap into Malik Willis, the design run the design runner they didn't need to just domination up front by the titans yeah malik willis wasn't uh much of a factor at all in terms of designed runs um the this, the numbers of derrick henry are crazy he has now gone over 200 yards against the texans for the fourth straight game that's that's madness there's only yeah. like a, there aren't that many people that have had 200 yard games at all and he's had them four straight times against the Texans. He now is tied for the all-time lead with 200, in 200-yard games with six. You know who else is at six? Uh, Two players. I saw this, yes. I thought Barry? No. Not one of the two I've seen. O.J. Right. Simpson? Yes. So O.J. Simpson and uh, I don't know who else. Adrian Peterson. Oh, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So six 200-yard games, ties for the most all-time. Four of them were against Houston, and the other two were against Jacksonville. Yes. And it was the Jacksonville game, the 98-yarder, right? Yeah. That, like, sparked Henry's career. Yeah. I forget if that was year two or three of his career, but he was kind of a pedestrian, you know, pretty good runner. And then he had that Thursday night game against Jacksonville where he just goes nuts. And since that point, he's been King Henry. Since yeah. that point, forced 11 missed tackles in this game. Looked fast, too. You know, it showed some speed to the edge a couple times. And um, it, it, it's definitely a combination, too, because the Titans, the Titans run blocking, I, th- I think, was really good up front. They won, so they win the battle. Uh, the rookie third-round tackle, Nicholas Petit-Friere, goes, has one of his best, maybe the best game of his career. Fantastic run blocking. The Titans continue to churn out right tackles. 
Mm. Right? They go from Jack Conklin to Questenberry to uh, Petit Freer. So they win up front, but then Henry just did the rest. Barry's only got four tied with Earl Campbell and LaDainian Tomlinson. Name the guy with five. Walter Payton. No. Walter Payton doesn't have many at all, actually. Tony Dorsett. Nope. Tiki Barber. I wouldn't have guessed that. No, I, I wouldn't have gone That's that why way. I stopped you. Oh, yeah. We've been here for a while. Tiki Barber has the most games of 200 yards and four fumbles. Probably. Yeah, probably true. Probably. All right. Well, I mean, I, I don't have much else on this game. I predicted Dylan Cole would be the secret superstar in the defense. He wasn't. True. They didn't need him. No. Um, it was 17-3. to Texans scored a late touchdown to make it a little bit closer. Yeah, I mean, the Texans had nothing until this game was done. Like, they, they looked bad. Um, Derrick Henry went crazy. Dontrell Hilliard was making some plays. They were getting good movement up front. Uh, Malik Willis reminded me quite a lot of Taysom Hill in this game. Like, that's, that's not really a good thing for a quarterback, but we knew he was a, a long way away just from what we'd seen preseason. Like, you know, the... There's a couple of rookie quarterbacks who are like, eh, if they get in the game, maybe they show something of a different direction for this franchise going forward. You're like, Malik Willis is going to take some time to, for this thing to work, if it does work. Um, the difference between him and Taysom Hill at the moment is I think we're fairly confident right now that Taysom Hill is already at his ceiling. You know, this is just who he yeah. is. This is who Malik Willis is right now. Who knows where he can get to? I wanted to make this point earlier on the Zach Wilson stuff because I – continue to derail the podcast but i was watching i think it was one of the hasselbecks on espn breaking down josh allen from like early years to now and how he because we, we've described zach wilson as just playing a different game malik willis in the preseason was kind of that right remember he got oh, yeah. benched for not taking right. the rpo read or whatever so they're playing a different game and if you're a fan of those teams and you want to see that development hasselbeck was breaking down these josh allen plays from early in his career where it's like the blitz everybody's up and they're showing blitz and he doesn't set the protection and instead of just dropping back he like sprinted right like it was qb sweep like that was his answer for the blitz was instead of setting protection and finding a hot reader or something i'm just gonna sprint right yeah it's like that's not like no quarterback ever does that right so he's gotten out of that right so they're showing the before and after right he used to do this now he's looking off safeties and he's you know throwing with touch and he's setting protections and hitting hots and all this stuff doesn't mean everybody will get there, but I'm trying not to overreact to first couple seasons and players pl- like just being so far off stylistically. Zach Wilson being one and maybe very early in Malik Willis's career <laughs> being another guy that might take some time there, right? Yeah, I mean, again, this is not new information. We knew he was like this based off his preseason performance, but certainly there was nothing in this game that would make you say oh ryan Tannehill's in any way shape or form concerned for his job in the immediate future you know what i mean yeah i mean if they do eventually want to use willis in the design run game as a change of pace the thing we wanted the yeah. uh, 49ers just not to in the use. jet sweep thing that they did last no week. no not having him take handoffs but the same thing i wanted the niners to do with with trey lance why not mix that in a little bit and if you do have malik willis on a couple keepers here and there having him and Derrick Henry in the same backfield is not bad. There were reports after this game that the Texans brass effectively anticipated them being better than this, you know? They expected them to be further along or, or better. They stink. They're bad almost everywhere. Like defense is awful. Even the players that they brought in, they're like, yeah, yeah, I can see how this patches together and they form like a good pass rush as a group. No. Um, the offense 
there's just not much there. Davis Mills sort of, yeah, like, okay. Like, eh. it's just, it's bad. It's bad, and there's no, like, obvious... Okay, look, it's very early on because the Deshaun Watson thing, right? The, the first sort of go was as soon as they traded him. But it, there's really not a lot to, like, hang your hat on and be excited about for the Texans. I mean, again, I'm trying to think back to the offseason. I mean, we, we rated them as one of the worst rosters. That doesn't mean we're right all the time. We thought Seattle might have one of the worst rosters, too, and they're, they're coming in, you know, playing pretty well. So it doesn't mean we're right, but there's, how do you look at the Houston roster and not just say, hey, I think, I don't think they have a good roster, but we want to just see the Stingleys and Petries of the world play, you know, play well, the rookies. I mean, that was, that was initially, that was probably our final take. There are ways away. I mean, there are ways away roster. What's the spread against away. the Eagles on Thursday? Oh, too many. Too it's got to be, tw- like, it might be three touchdowns. You don't see many games above 17. It's got to be 17 to 21. It's in SEC game territory. Hmm. Anyway, yeah, I, I, I don't know what to expect from the Texans. Davis Mills feels like he might be a good game manager on, like, a really good team. Like, if you gave him a really good defense, he could go and uh, take care of the ball, get rid of it quickly, spread it around. But they're uh, a really good team away from that being true. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Philly by 13, according to PFF.com. It was, what was See, it? See, I, I would take Philly there because I thought it would be more. <laughs> the early line, yeah. I mean, what was it against Pittsburgh? Ten and a half. Like, Pittsburgh yeah. are a couple, Pittsburgh are better than two and a half points against uh, Houston. All right, let's go uh, Washington Commanders, 17, Indianapolis Colts, 16. Some Taylor Heineke magic at the end of the game. Was that a dime this week to Terry McLaurin? Was that another great play by Heineke or another heave and hope in the general direction the, of the dig route, Terry McLaurin? The dig route to set it all up was fantastic. Because McLaurin just went up and mossed Stephon Gilmore for that play. Like, incredible. Sometimes you just got to take shots on Stephon Gilmore. Terry McLaurin has been absolutely incredible with Taylor Heineke. So this is Heineke. Look, I mean, it's the confidence thing, right? Have that confidence. Throw it up to that wide receiver one. Confidence. It's just he's yeah. He understands that. Look, <laughs> I'm not great, but he is. So let's put the ball in his general vicinity and let's see if he can make the play. Like that. That's I think the thought process here. Commanders moved to four and four in this one. They stole this one. I mean, the, the Colts had this game won, um, and it wasn't even because they were doing anything particularly impressive. Like. Almost immediately, maybe his first pass or any one of his first couple, Ellinger has a dropped interception. Like, this kind of... And he didn't even play that badly, but this was another pretty miserable game. Jonathan Taylor finally gets a rushing room, fumbles the ball. Like, this game was going that way. Alec Pierce made a couple of nice grabs, but, like, the best thing the Colts offense had going for it was a couple of gimmick Paris Campbell plays. It's just kind of... I mean, that says its own story, right? Um, And then... What I found interesting about this game was the Colts, who were generally more aggressive than a lot of other teams in fourth down decisions, you know, when to kick, when to go for it, they kicked three times on fourth down, twice taking field goals um, and once punting the ball away late, fourth and inches, giving Taylor Heineke the chance to make the comeback. I what, get, I one get, of the field goals was to the one to go up nine to seven. Yes. They would, right. was like fourth and really, really short. Yeah. 
but it was to go up 9-7 to seven in a game where it didn't look like anybody can score. I, yeah. I would just make the point that I think at least two of those decisions were questionable, and they ended up losing this game. Like, it, I think when you have a quarterback like Sam Ellinger who comes in, you default to becoming more conservative in those situations, whereas I think actually it's the, op- the opposite thing is the answer. Like, because you have a quarterback like Sam Ellinger – you actually need to be more aggressive and try and get the, you know, try and get the unassailable nine-point lead. You know what I mean? Because, like, so, yeah. I don't know. I just, it, I found it interesting that, like, they turtled up in those situations when they maybe needed to stay more aggressive and try and pick up one of those fourth and inches and really put the dagger in. So, yeah, sorry, the one to go up, the one to go up nine to seven was fourth and two, fourth and goal from the two, right? So it's a 20-yard field goal. They go up nine to seven in the fourth quarter. Um, that I think is the one that was okay. I would have. I'm okay with that call. I think the other two were were not good. And it seemed fine because then the Colts score another touchdown to go up sixteen to seven, and it's like you did go up nine, right? You are up nine there. I'm saying the fourth and two though. That did feel like you're just saying let's just take the lead. Yeah, because we think our defense might be able. To, we, we might be actually actually be able to win this game nine to seven because it's so ugly at this point. Um, two things on just the decision making in general. Got into a conversation this weekend a little bit. I think the two things that coaches underrate in this discussion that I'm getting sick of on the fourth down stuff is not just the conversion rate and in fourth and two on fourth and goal from the two is a bad example, but if you go for it on fourth and one at like the thirty or whatever it is, I think I don't think coaches factor in the fact that you can get more than one yard on that play. Right? You just think of this binary, do we convert, do we not? What happens if we lose the ball? What happens if we keep the ball? But you're allowed to pick up 10 yards on fourth and one. Like, that happens. That's part of the reason why the win probability is higher than the gut, the gut math that you do, because you, you can get more than just the one yard, right? You have this opportunity for another play where you can pick up 5, 10, 15, or whatever, and obviously that adds value as well. And then the other part, when the Colts go up 9-7, to seven, I think coaches get caught up in the counting possessions and, and what that does is it paints a picture in your head of all these other games in history where oh we're gonna kick a field goal to get you're like you're down 17 we're gonna kick a field goal to get within two scores then we just have to make a stop score a touchdown make a stop score a touchdown and you start painting this picture in your head of how your defense is just gonna make these stops and you start assuming your defense is gonna make these stops like if you're behind or whatever it might be and I think that's where the math is better because it's already thought about that for you. It already knows history and it doesn't let you get biased because the bias comes in and says, oh, we'll just make these stops, right? Because then, because you're counting possessions, right? If you're up, it's like, all right, you know, go up two possessions, right? Then they have to score twice. If you're down, get within two possessions because then we just have to score and stop, score and stop. So anyway, I think that's where the gut math is off. Trust my gut because it's like me it's like me playing in these games when we when we make our predictions on Thursday. I paint this picture in my head, which is probably wrong. Here's how I think the game's <laughs> going to go, right? But think about it. It's like my brain is going to paint a picture of how the game's going to go when we who the heck can predict game flow and all that stuff in the NFL. That's what that's what the gut math is that coaches are talking about. So, Yo. I think there was an element of that with Frank Reich going for, I, I didn't love the fourth and goal from the two. I didn't love it. I, that one I think I was okay with. You're okay with it. It's the fine. other one was fourth and three from the Washington 21 in the third quarter, and they kicked the field goal. That was to go 7-6. 
It's like fourth and three from the 21. This guy, I mean, but like fourth and goal from the two is the payout is almost certainly a touchdown. When you go for it at the 21, you're going to have another set. If you get another set of downs, you still might end up kicking a field goal, right? When you get the fourth and two, fourth and goal from the two, you're scoring a touchdown. When you don't get it, okay, the the offense that hasn't done anything now has to go 98 yards force a punt, we'll still have good field position, we'll get back into field goal range. So Washington ended up getting this touchdown to, to go ahead right at the death, um, snatch this game, steal it, from, um, steal it from the Colts, 22 seconds left on the clock, you're like, game over, you know? Then number, play number one, Ellinger hits Michael Pittman in the hands on a pretty deep play that had catch-and-run space, and Pittman drops it. Yeah. Like, stone-handed drops it. That was a great play by Ellinger. And that's honestly, like, that could have been the difference between winning and losing this game. Like, that gives them... It they had put timeouts, in, right, obviously? It doesn't put point, them in... Yeah. It They're, doesn't put them in... They had one timeout. It doesn't put them in field goal range, but it puts you one play away from field goal range. They're probably with, right at about the 50-yard line. Yeah. On that it play. puts you one play away from field goal range with, like, 10 seconds to play with. So... It, it literally takes you from you have a shot to you have no shot. It, the game's over. Um, and, like, God, like, it's one thing when your quarterback is Sam Ellinger. He's not great. You know, you know you're limited, blah, blah, blah. But at least have the guys that are supposed to be the best players on offense help him out when he does make something special happen. I just want to rewatch this McLaurin. Oh, yeah? Decide whether it was a dime or not? Well, I know it wasn't a dime. Mm. But, yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Uh-huh. But... I mean, this is two weeks in a row, right, where he's just gone, look, McLaren's somewhere over there, and he's going to go make a play for me. And he has. Yeah. It's a tough throw for Heineke, though, too, because he maneuvers backwards in the pocket. He's almost at the 50-yard line, and he's got, you know. 45-yard arm. He's got a little 60-mile-an-hour <laughs> fastball type of arm here, hey, you know. Hey, hey, Just saying. So he's not really making that throw. McLaurin does a great job just breaking away. I mean, second second chance play he's running away and he's like yeah hit me raising my hand can we by the way just later like you having seen this now i am at least on the high end of uh of outcomes for like throwing out the first pitch you know it's not going to the stands over there it's not going to the dirt five yards in front of the catcher it's at least you know it's getting there i was looking fine i I mean you did almost kill our camera people a couple times i was so my default yeah, but mostly you were in and around the strike zone. And my default was a little high, which I think is a, like I'm used to aiming head height for people for different sports. Sure. So that makes sense, right? Yeah. Like I think if I had a little bit of time to work on the which fact is that good, the strike zone is down here. one while I was catching, that would be bad news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, you know, that's, that's way better than Conor McGregor's first pitch, you know? Oh, just yeah. way off to the side Yeah, but zone. you had one of those, you just never know when it's going to show up. Plus the adrenaline versus the bullpen, it's different. Yeah. I had like one, one, but almost... Also, by the way, the one was when I was like trying to hit 60 as opposed to just trying to hit the dude's glove. When we were just playing catch to start with, they were like right in the face. Yeah, you were pretty accurate. One of the most annoying things about pitching, though, is when you feel great in the bullpen and it just feels different when you're in the game. Like, trying to figure that out. Like, what? how should I feel after warming up? Right. Right? Do I need all my pitches to be good? Do I have to feel... Like, it never matched. Yeah. Sometimes I mean whatever. You like just, when you go right no off pattern. the uh, when you go right off the driving range and then like T number one, you just yeah. hook it into the trees somewhere. That has to be one of the most frustrating things about sports, is when practice in the game 
don't match up, right? Mm. Has to be. All right, let's go. Um, what else do we have in the 4 o'clock games here? I just clicked off of it. Good work. Seattle Seahawks 27. Ah. Giants 13. Yeah. There's two more games here. Seahawks. They move to 5-3. and three. Giants fall to 6-2. and two. Finally, the Giants regressed, Sam. Yeah. I, that was a good game. It was a good game until the end. Seattle, Seattle pulled away. It was a good game, and the Giants lost, essentially, because they turned the ball over a couple of times. Um, and it was one dude who was turning the ball over for them. Uh, like, multiple times. Muffin punts. Yeah. And, okay, I, so I don't want to hammer them too much for that. Richie James loses two. Yes. So Richie James effectively cost the Giants this game. So I don't want to hammer them too much for that because, yes, turnovers are generally kind of fluky. Um, and if they, you know, if they simply hadn't had those two turnovers, they would have been – it was a – even game essentially right now it goes the other way too though tyler lockett but the difference being the tyler lockett one i think it was a dory jackson like a dory jackson ripped that ball out so yes turnovers are fluky and they come and go but he actually stripped that ball it was he, a great he play. made a play to make that happen it was just the fact that it happened like inside the five yard sure. line it was like okay this is but the richie this james is how thing, the giants are doing it this year right force a turnover inside the five yeah but i think that's very different to the quote-unquote unforced error of your punt returner just not handling the football twice yeah i understand um I so just, but i want to make the other point about lockett fumbled he had another there was another great throw by geno smith where he, he dropped the just, touchdown well he dropped the touchdown and there was another great throw by Geno Smith where Lockett couldn't get his second foot down. Yeah. I'm not blaming Lockett for that either, or necessarily, but like, there was, there was a couple near touchdowns oh, yeah. no, in there they as were. well like, that the Giants should have given up. I mean, I think the Eagles or the Eagles, I think the Seahawks were the better team in this game, but I just don't want to hammer the Giants too much for the fact that like, two turnovers from special teams, which is weird and, you know, very random, really cost them. But yes, Tyler Lockett at one point was having an absolute nightmare. He fumbled the ball away inside his own five. The Seahawks or the, the Giants scored. Like, that was a big thing. He was, as you say, one inch away from a touchdown on a really nice throw. Very good catch. Just didn't quite get his toe in. Then dropped a touchdown that hit him in the face. It was one of those ones where you're, you know, you're looking for the ball and it clangs yeah. off your face mask, which then takes it away from your hands. Never happened to me. He's, he's uh, on the sideline, like, looking distraught with himself. He's having one of the worst games of his career. I thought it was instructive that Geno Smith was straight over to him and being like, you know, hey, chin up. You're, this isn't over. Like, we're right in this game. I'm going to need you later. You're Tyler Lockett. You know, you, this is not you. You're going to pull out of this. And then he goes back to him with a touchdown, ends up being – you know, one of the the most important plays of the game. Like, Gino isn't just playing better. Gino's, Gino's a leader at quarterback. Oh, like that's, there it is. That's classic leadership. At there that it is. You just tap it into Gino Smith's leadership. Oh, ability. we're going to get to one later, which I'm going to go the other way on. But, yeah, that I, I think that's good. Gino isn't just a better quarterback on the field. He's a leader in this offense. Another game. So this, this game, Gino's stat line was not, not terribly impressive. It was good. 23 of 34, 212 yards. In part because of, you know, dropped Tyler Lockett bomb. But that's what I'm saying. Like, this is going to be one of his best-graded games of the season. He's now, he might have three games. We'll see what this ends up as. He might have three games over 90 this year. We were talking about coming in. He's had a bunch of games under 60. He's had a few games under 60 and now three games over 90. So it's, I don't know if he's becoming that streaky type of quarterback. This was like early Josh Allen career where he would just go on these runs. But Gino. Geno Smith playing with a lot of confidence in this game. 
I mentioned the two the two locket passes. Like he continues to just under pressure. One of them was he was getting popped too. Yeah, I think the one where Lockett um, couldn't get the second foot in. He's getting hit and making these throws, and it's been just very impressive. Somebody was asking generally, you know, explain the grade on Adoree Jackson, who ironically is going to come out with a really good grade in this game, despite you know giving up some plays. But like. Part of it is when you like the Tyler Lockett touchdown, the double move, Adoree Jackson is a guy getting smoked on that. Just bites on the first move and is way off the They wanted us to explain what the season grade? Yeah. On him? Um, he's also, yeah, he was the guy who got beat for when Tyler Lockett dropped the touchdown. So in this game alone, he could have come away with multiple touchdowns being given up, uh, one of which was a horrendous play. So, I mean, the long and the short of it is he's given up more of those plays that didn't count which are yeah. reflected in the grade. Another game where the Seahawks defense is just so much better than they were earlier in the season and, and so much better than we would have anticipated. Back-to-back really good games from Ryan Neal, Uchenna Nwosu, strip sack in there. He has just been an incredible find this offseason. He's been their best pass rusher. And they got kind of the um, the old, well, old school Puna Ford coming back playing well. Uh, just solid across the board for this for the Seahawks defense. Yeah, it's looked much better. I mean, the Seahawks defense, I think, is still the weakest part of this team, but it's showing that it's good enough. It's showing signs of life, right? Yeah. And um, the one other thing I wanted to say, Geno Smith after the game said something along the lines of Wink Martindale sent, you know, about 20 different zero blitz looks. Like, that's most I've ever seen. I mean, yeah, it's like your 15th start in the NFL, of course. <laughs> but... Yeah, but it was great. So he was basically saying we ha- we we were going to adjust. We were going to have some one on one on one opportunities on the outside. They took them. Um, eventually paid off. That was the, the Tyler Lockett touchdown is what put Seattle up two yeah. scores. They went twenty seven to thirteen. He was blitzed more than fifty percent of the time and yeah. had you know reasonable production against the blitz and handled it well. He got I mean he got smoked on one unblocked and. I mean, that's, it's kind of like the nature of blitzing, right? Every now and again, you're just going to beat the protection and get yeah, home. Yeah, yeah. And other times it's like, hey, my guy's one-on-one and you better, you know, get him so in the throw. After the game, Tyler Lockett says, it's amazing what we can accomplish when no one cares who gets the credit. And you believe that this is not a direct shot at Russell Wilson. I believe it's not a direct shot at Russell Wilson. Everybody's going to call it a direct shot at Russell Wilson. Yeah. You know why? Because it is. It is not. <laughs> There's no way you make that comment unless you're pointedly drawing comparison with what it was in the past. Where's the context? What was the question? I don't know. Who cares? Oh, no, it doesn't matter. I'll I just the context. It doesn't matter about the context. I saw the quote. That's all I It doesn't need. matter about the context. Don't it doesn't even it. matter. Don't need it. Don't want it. So what have they accomplished? What have they accomplished? They won the game. Yeah, that's great. They're five and three. Yeah, that's two games better than Russell Wilson is. Russell Wilson won, what, 65% of his, uh, the same exact percentage, 63%. They've won 62.5% of their games, which is less than what Russell Wilson probably won as a percentage. I don't know it off the top of my head. In Seattle. And you're telling me that Tyler Lockett is like, yeah, we're we're just way better without that other idiot over there who was all about himself and his posse and his wife and his brand. Evidently being dragged to these wins by Dinosaur Pete Carroll. His masterful coaching job, who's yeah. just doing the same trick with Gino now. Uh, apparently, Pete Carroll was actually Bill Belichick the whole way, and Bill Belichick was just some stooge being driven to Super Bowls by Tom Brady. That's what that that's that's how we do this. That's how the, that's all the evidence. Well, is no, we that. have to undo the Tom Brady analysis now because the forty-five-year-old no, is having a, a rough season right now. So everything that he did for the last twenty-three years actually wasn't right. 
Well, he's 45, you know. Oh, you Eventually, Father Time yeah. catches up with everybody. Tyler Lockett uses a quote that a lot of people use. It's context-free out there. That's a common quote. Who has ever said that before? It's like a Winston Churchill quote or something. <laughs> it's a legitimate quote. You can just make this up. How many NFL players who can you count that have quoted Churchill? At least their... one. <laughs> Tyler Lockett did. It is a common quote. It's a common Churchill quote. Listen, I know there's a lot of mounting evidence. Dropped Every former teammate game. of Russell Wilson has come out with some sort of negative comment in the last seven weeks of NFL action. Yeah. However, I'm willing to ignore that previous evidence and look at this in isolation and say Tyler Lockett's just trying to say. Just, just trying to quote Churchill. Yeah. Just, yeah. just throw a quote out there. There's <laughs> nothing to do with the Broncos quarterback. Okay. But everybody wants to make it that. All right. And it's only because the Broncos played in primetime. That's the only reason why we're talking about uh-huh. this. It's amazing what you can do when no one wants to take credit here on the PFF NFL podcast. We're just a team. I mean, look, if only more people drop Churchill quotes every postgame. Oh, every, I just... Context-free quotes. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Give me the context. Now, like Russell Wilson doing high knees in the aisle. It sounded... <laughs> Somebody said it was a Churchill quote, Ben. I'm telling you, the the high knee thing. I was I, I needed I need more context. Ironically, an actual when I, when I got more context, it was worse. Ironically, an actual Churchill quote is it's a good thing for an uneducated man to read books on quotations. Okay, I'm just saying that if you're going to make up Churchill quotes, you know, it would help to know what they are. Can we get some uh, <laughs> Can we get some research on this one? Well, I'm not so sure that that explanation actually holds water. Well, we'll see. We'll see once we do. Uh, once we get the crack research staff on here. Okay. What's our next game? Only two more here. San Francisco 49ers 31, Los Angeles Rams 14. Rams got up 14 to 10. Was it 14 to seven? Felt different early on, didn't it? It did. How did these games all end up the same? Because uh, remember la- last year. Because uh, they're they're all blending like these division games they blend in. I think it was late in the it was it week seventeen week eighteen last year. I think the Rams got up like seventeen to three, and McVeigh breaks free from his get back coach mm. and he sprints <laughs> into the end zone right. And McVeigh is like like it was like a party when they got up a couple scores and. It was like, we finally figured it out. Like, we're finally, we've got our best Rams team in a while. We finally figured out the 49ers. Celebrating. And they ended up blowing that game. McVay gets so, he looks so happy, you know, when they're winning at halftime against the 49ers. And he's finally going to get that win that he can't get in the regular season. And then it gets, you know, the rug gets pulled out from under his legs again, you know? This was it. Wait, So, yeah, week 18, last year, Rams get up 17 to nothing. Right, Stafford hits Tyler Higby for the 15-yarder. And it felt like we figured it out, right? The game felt different. For the 49ers, who had given the Rams so many problems up front, and you couldn't figure out the, the, the Rams' defense, couldn't figure out the Niners' offense. This was similar to last year in Week 18, where the Rams get up early. It feels different. I felt like saying, man, the Niners, the depth that, they just, that they've, they're, they're missing on the defensive line is just not there. They have to blitz a little bit more. If you blitz Stafford, he's going to make you pay. The Rams had answers until they didn't. They just got up early 
And then it was terrible from that point on for the Rams and yeah. great for the Niners. But it's just like McVay looks so happy. He's fist bumping. You know, it's like, we're going to get it done. And then you know how this script ends. You've seen it before. Stop celebrating now. Like, yeah. it's going to go south. Um, and then it became the Christian McCaffrey game. It did. So our, our uh, buddy, Josh Dubow, I believe I pronounced his name wrong the last time I quoted him. He had a tweet after this game. Touchdown passes thrown 30-plus yards downfield for the 49ers in the past three seasons. Christian McCaffrey, one. Trey Lance, one. C.J. Beathard, one. Jimmy Garoppolo, zero. So Christian McCaffrey, the running back now, has more 30-plus yard air air yard uh, passes for the uh, 49ers. It was a Truman quote. In the last three years. (laughs) Tell me he's quoting Truman now. Okay, it's fine. I'm sure he was. I'm sure that's it exactly amazing what he was doing. What you can accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit, Harry S. Truman. Uh huh. Yeah, that's what Lockett was quoting. I will any Seahawks beat reporter. I will pay some. I will Venmo you right now to ask Tyler Lockett was he in fact quoting Wait. Harry Truman when he gave that quote. Now, according to Google, it's also a John Wooden quote. <laughs> it's amazing how much can be accomplished if no one cares who gets the credit. So it's also John Wooden. Let's Maybe see who else gets credit for this. it is something that people say all the time then. It is. It's a common quote. <laughs> and then there's a whole thing called it, debunking that it doesn't matter who gets credit myth. Let's get into this one. Oh, God. They changed the original Truman quote. They changed the quote. But it doesn't matter. Well, the history doesn't matter because if people are quoting the wrong quote, thinking it's true, it's still a Truman quote. What? It can't be yeah. a quote if it's not Lockett what he said. Lockett was just repeating the thing that he hears all the time. Which apparently is not what Truman said. Because, like, again, go back. What was the question? Hey, uh, what do you attribute this uh, five and three start to the Seahawks? Oh, it's just amazing what you can accomplish. We're a team. Like, he's just saying we're a team. It's amazing what you can, com- you, uh, you can accomplish. He likes the vibe on the team. He likes nobody cares about credit. Nobody gave us any credit coming into the season. We're sitting here at five and three. That's what Tyler Lockett's trying to say. You can't paraphrase a quote then it's not a quote by definition a quote is the thing that was said i'm saying people i haven't read this article debunking the quote i'm saying if people have watered down the quote to what it is that lockett said and they've and it's a truman quote he thinks he's quoting him but he isn't yeah but he doesn't know he thinks he is let's just go this conversation we've ever had it is 49ers yeah, so Christian Chris McCaffrey, McCaffrey. Has, has more 30-yard passes for the, the 49ers over the last three years, three years, than Jimmy Garoppolo. Are we sure? Did we check this? This, is, this man has AP in his name. You don't think he's fact-checking himself before he puts this stuff out there? You, AP, and you just, you're just looking for just a saying. vote. You're just looking for one of those special votes. McCaffrey also ends up with a pass receiving and rushing touchdown first time that's happened in the nfl since ladanian tomlinson the receiving touchdown i thought was fantastic oh, it was incredible it was it was fantastic it was a great throw by jimmy g it as was well. like wide receiver christian mccaffrey down yeah. the sideline high pointing the ball yeah. kind of takes it away from george kittle it was late in the down i mean this is the thing too right like you don't get too many plays against the rams i mean aaron there was a great montage of aaron donald breaking free and not not finishing plays for sacks but you just see how disruptive he was again um and they were highlighting that you don't have that many plays where garoppolo i, I don't know if it was his fourth read i don't know technically but it was late late in the down and he sees mccaffrey late and he throws it up and awesome ball skills for mccaffrey to to come down with it 
You just don't see many of those plays, though, against this Rams defense where you've got that much time in the pocket. So Jimmy G actually had his first 31 after that tweet came out. So yes. the first time he had one was after that tweet. Just needed that Ross Dwelly busted coverage. Who does <laughs> I mean, that was the other thing, too. Like, uh, the Rams needed some stops late to get back in the game, and they're just busting coverages. Yeah. Only the 10th yeah. time ever, by the way, that trifecta has happened, the pass, rush, and receiving. The, the, the Ladanian. Yeah. How many times has he done it? Nine? I, I know he's done it, and he was the last time it happened. Him and Walter pa- Walter has definitely done it a few times. Oh, yeah, Walter was. Walter has a lot of passing touchdowns. <laughs> yeah. The um, the running back pass was just a much bigger part of football. I've never understood why that isn't more often used, because it seems like such a hard thing to be disciplined against as a defender. Yeah, like It happens a lot at lower levels, and I, I assume, therefore, the connection yeah. is that at the NFL, defenses are just much more disciplined and don't do what happened in this play all the time and bite you know on the run and then leave themselves wide open but i used it with my three-year-old last week yeah i mean we're just playing backup football he he knew how to do it It might of course in my five and six-year-old bite five and seven-year-old bite they don't have the discipline i was wide open i'm just saying it should work it worked in my backyard you were wide open against your your kids yeah so i handed it off to my three-year-old the seven and five-year-old harry and teddy they bite and then Benny over the top to I'm me. just wondering, like, are any of your kids higher than halfway up your 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 torso? I mean, Harry's getting up there. He's seven. Because <laughs> it feels like you don't need like... the trickery, you know? You just, I'm always open because I'm literally twice the size of these people. No, but it, I was reading it, man. I was, I was handing it off to Benny over and over again. Yeah. They bid on that. Benny threw it over the top. I just, Touchdown. I just think you're overcomplicating this, you know? Anyway, I just it is funny how much that was like a part of football. You'd see that like five times a week or whatever in the NFL. But uh, McCaffrey, it was a really good game for him. He does – Jeff Wilson's averaging like over five yards per carry in that offense. I don't want to overrate this. Um, McCaffrey does look pretty dynamic in that in that offense, though, right? You're going to give him some room. The offense creates room in the running game. He's a, He is a very good second-level runner, right, finding open space and making the second-level defender miss. It is going to be interesting, man. Even though I said, hey, the Panthers are better without McCaffrey, the Niners' offense is better with McCaffrey. I think the, the challenge is going to be if, if, down the ro- if down the road here, he gets, does he get too many touches? You know, like whether it's conscious or subconscious here, if George Kittle gets fewer opportunities because Christian McCaffrey's on the team, that might not work in the end. Well, that's the constant, like, battle that this offense has been fighting for a while, which is, okay, we've got all these playmakers that are all incredible, dynamic athletes and can have huge games individually, but can we get them to all fire at the same time? For some reason, Mike McDaniel has been able to get that done in Miami with two, uh, with uh, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Those guys can both go off for monster games in the same performance. It just doesn't happen with the 49ers. Like, it's either a Debo game or it's a George Kittle game, or it's a Brandon Ayuk game, or it's a Christian McCaffrey game. Why can't they happen at this? Why can't they happen simultaneously? Like, what is the, what is the thing restricting that from happening? Touches. But I mean, there's enough touches for Tyreek and Jalen Waddle to both have. I mean, days. you, your initial. Somebody emailed us about that too. Wants us. They want us to revisit that on Wednesday. Your initial take that that couldn't work because of touches. I, th- I think it was wrong. Anyway, I, I disagreed with it with it at the time because Tyree Kill opens up 
like if Tyreek Hill caught three passes per game, he's still probably making an impact. With the Niners, it's like the McCaffrey touched receiving touchdown to me is like a microcosm of where he can add value. He's the last option on that play, and he just balls out and makes a great play, right? To me, that's where this offense needs to go. Debo Samuel missed the game, by the way, right? Yeah. He wasn't there. But that's the other thing, right? If Debo misses a game, you have another playmaker to rely upon. If Debo's out there and Ayuk is out there and Kittle's out there, you have to run your offense through those guys, Other, like as far as the pass game goes. And then, oh, by the way, if you do have to check it down or if, you, if we do run a wheel route, McCaffrey's the best in the game at that, right? So that's where the Niners just have to find that balance, right? You have to feed George Kittle because he can make yeah. more special plays than Christian McCaffrey can. They have, ironically, I think they have the challenge that I thought Miami would have, which is how do you get these guys firing on all cylinders at the same time? Miami apparently don't have any problems with that, but the 49ers still have this thing where, okay, if Debo is in this game, does McCaffrey have the same kind of game? No, probably That's not. That's not an issue, though, Sam. It's it is not. an issue. You don't it's not an issue need everybody firing. You need to... What you need to be able to do is put points on the board. Yes. Right? So Which gets they, easier if everybody's firing at the same time. No, because there's going to be some game where every like they triple cover George Kittle. And then it doesn't matter if George Kittle doesn't get his. The yeah. other guy, as long as the other guys do. What I'm saying is, if we, if we see games where Christian McCaffrey gets 15 targets, then there's issues, I think. Then, then that, that, that's, that's the game where they score like 14 points. If, if he, they start to feed Christian McCaffrey instead of the guys that are going to create higher value targets. If McCaffrey's more of the afterthought in the, in the pass game and the quarterback and the system stays disciplined, then every check down, every screen, every late in the down wheel route becomes more valuable because it's, it's the afterthought because the other guys are creating more valuable passes. I mean, I think this offense struggles from a lack of consistency at hitting the highest levels we know it's capable of achieving. And I think a big part of that is that they can't get everybody firing at the same time. They have this overwhelming collection of talented, athletic, gifted playmakers, but can't get it to function so that they all work to the maximum on any given game. And I think, yeah, you don't need them all firing at all times. And obviously there are situations where defenses will specifically try and take away one guy, at which point obviously he's not going to fire relative to everybody else. But I do think that there is a massive missed um, margin of success for this offense because that balance has not been found yet. All right, we're going to get to the last game. Don't forget, download the PFF app. It's in the App Store. Go check it out. All of your betting, fantasy. I mean, if you're looking for action on tonight's game, we get all of our best betting advice right there betting dashboards all sorts of cool stuff there matchup charts and uh, basically just the best premium football analysis out there go check out the pff app in your app store right now last game sunday night football buffalo bills move to six and one 27 to 17 win over the green bay packers packers fall to three and five this was a this was a strange game right the bills kind of had it in hand yeah most of the time uh the packers had about 60 net passing yards in the first half and they crept back into it by running the ball every single play on a second-half drive, have a touchdown negated by an offensive pass interference. Aaron Rodgers hits uh, Samari Touré for a nice touchdown, 37-yard, just to get within 10 to cover. A couple second-half interceptions by Josh Allen, also allowing the Packers back into it. There was a point where Aaron Rodgers and Allen threw interceptions on back-to-back plays. Yeah. 
Um, so the Bills felt like they had this thing in hands the whole time, but the stats don't show. Like nothing really shows it other than, hey, they won 27-17. to 17. Yeah, like so this was a big uh, point spread. It was 11, 11 and a half. 10 and a half, I believe. Um, Is that what we got it at? And immediately the, the Bills were like covering this by the end of the first quarter or the start of the second quarter. Um, and it felt like that. It was like, this game is out of control. It's done. Um, and, and Green Bay kind of, it was, it was hard to sort of parse it between they've kind of given up. They don't really feel they can get back in this. And we're getting so annihilated up front by this pass rush that the only way <clears throat> back is to stop exposing the offense to that pass rush and just try and run the ball, knowing that that, it kind of shortens the game. It does that Baltimore versus Kansas City game plan of trying to, you know, squeeze their opportunities. But but at this point, you're already 14 down. Like, you're already in a two-score hole. It's kind of hard to come back that way. Um, but what, And then Mahomes went – or not Mahomes. Uh, Josh Allen randomly tried to be Mahomes late in the game yeah. and kept sort of doing this whole, like, get out, make a thing happen, except kept pitching the ball to the defense. Um, so Allen like had this random mini meltdown at a point where it was never really dangerous, but it wasn't great, you know. Yeah, two fourth quarter interceptions for Allen. Um, one of them just a you know tight red zone, weird miscommunication type. I don't know what he was throwing to exactly. Other one he just throws it right. I mean, right to the defense. So two bad interceptions in the fourth quarter. The Packers coming back with the run game, which uh, the boss said, I think it's the right move. I mean, they're, they're, sitting, uh, they're sitting in too high. We're averaging over five yards a pop. So the Packers just kept running it. The pass game was very inconsistent. They finally did open it up a little bit, you know, late in the second half and, and had some success. But it was really the run game that got the Packers close, plus Allen's turnovers. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, the, the run game thing, it's only the right move if Josh Allen decides to start pitching the ball to you. Because the problem they were having is they couldn't stop him at all. Like, the Bills' offense was just marching down the field and scoring at, at seemingly at will. And, okay, you might be taking time off the clock and you might actually be having success running the ball this way, but you can't keep pace. Like, all you're going to do is they get the ball back and then they score. So, all right, you just you chewed eight minutes off the clock keeping to the same level you know so the only way it's actually working for you is if josh allen starts pitching the ball to the defense which he did which he did but that it wasn't it's not like the defense uh, the defense started making some insane plays it's like those were back to that unforced errors they weren't you know that wasn't the defense making some incredible plays and getting you those opportunities that was like randomly josh allen decides to just fire the ball to, to a defender twice one of the plays of the game though is when Green Bay is driving, and I mean it was it was this was more of a good mix and run and of run and pass. But it was they started the drive with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven straight run plays, and they're getting four, four, seven, five, nine, three, eight. Right, they're moving the ball with the run. They get a couple passes in there. They get to a fourth and one, and at this time they're down they're down three scores it's fourth and one it's the right move to go for it again this is where i'm saying the wrong move is coaches down 17 saying let's make it a two possession game here um no you have to because because the, again you're assuming we're just going to stop buffalo the rest of the game which by the they did actually so sort of. well i mean they they did sort of whoever you want to blame the buffalo, buffalo bills did not score any more points 
But I'm saying it was the right move to go for it on fourth and one. The wrong move was saying, hey, we're running the ball well, let's keep going. Because they ran into like a 10-man box and get stopped for a negative one, get stuffed on fourth and one. And, and that was pretty much, that was early fourth quarter. Doesn't mean the game was completely over then, but it kind of was. Um, so, I mean, my point there is identifying the places where you're running because you've got numbers advantage versus like we're just we're just winning up front and dominating they, they, they the, the fourth and one play call i think could have been could have been better and that ended up being a huge part of the game they ended up getting the one touchdown to get back within 10 to cover did i get that then you did uh, no, i we both had buffalo right because you were oh to... i definitely would have taken green bay yeah because I thought Rodgers would, you know, might step up, have a special game. How and he, we, he did. Rodgers was really good. How are we still giving it the uh, the covert nod to the betting line on the broadcast? You know? It's like every third ad on TV is a Caesars ad. We can't just say, hey, that means Green Bay is covering now. We have to be like, that's important score for some people. It's more fun that way. Is it? I don't know. Al had a good one on Thursday Night Football. Well, Al's like a, a master of this stuff. But yeah. like, but it's because for like the, the decades, you haven't been able to put the NFL anywhere near the idea of gambling. Now it's like the official sports book of the NFL. We can't just say, hey, Green Bay's now covering the point spread with that touchdown. Yeah. Feels like we've crossed that, you know, that line. We could, we could make that happen now. Man, Buff- Buffalo is just really good though, man. They, yeah. they create pressure. There was uh, Rodgers was under... Um, some quick pressure. He was getting popped a few times. I, I was impressed with Rodgers, man. I thought he played well. He, he stepped up his game. But there was just, they're, again, so inconsistent at receiver. You see Romeo Dobbs, though. He goes up and corner route wins, just wins at the catch point. He did turn himself around. I didn't think After, he needed to. But. I thought that there was an early deep shot to him that I thought he didn't do a good job of at all. Just got physically out-muscled at the catch point. Um, and then he made up for it with that one. So, like, Dobbs is the guy where you can kind of see there's definitely – he should be a part of this receiving core going forward and, and a pretty useful part. Maybe he can't be that number one guy. I thought your guy, Toure, like that – Chris yeah. drew it up well in the broadcast. Like, that adjustment that he made was an important sort of element that is missing from the Aaron Rodgers trust circle with these guys, right? For because sure. when the play breaks down, you need to figure it out as well and make an adjustment and go somewhere else. And Toure did – realized immediately that his route was dead forget that he's running a deep over route stops it turns right. around but rogers is going the other way so just immediately reverse course and get into space and yeah. rogers sees it hits him touchdown and then goes and like literally is you know giving him all kinds of like great job on the sideline because nobody else was doing that yeah like Torrey could end up forcing his way into this dynamic as one of like if you're going to make those adjustments that's what rogers doesn't trust with anybody else right now no one else is doing that if you're going to show me you're going to do that, I mean, Torre may well end up getting more opportunities next week because of that. And I would go to, I would keep going to Dobbs. That's why I've said on the show, eh, the drops, losing at the catch point. He's shown enough, whether it's training camp or, or preseason, that he can make those plays. Now, the contested catch, I don't know why he turned himself around. I'm rewatching the throw again. He runs a corner route, spins around the wrong way, then goes back the right way and goes up and still makes it. Like, if he just ran through it, he probably catches it a little bit easier, but... Yeah, I mean, he didn't, like, he didn't do it on purpose. He I'm just saying, I think he, it was a spectacular catch that didn't need to be that spectacular. Okay. Because he misjudged it at one point. Um, as I said, though, Buffalo remains just very good. They ran the ball effectively, too. Buffalo, they got, um, you know, James Cook had a big run in there. Devin Singletary had a 30-yarder where he looked really good. 
Packers lost both linebackers. Quay Walker ejected. Devondre Campbell injured. So they were banged up quite a bit there. And another game, and then Stephon Diggs, it was just, man, they were, him and, um, him and Jair Alexander have some history from the NFC North. They were John the entire game. Diggs ends up with six catches for one away, including I don't 53. think any of them came against Jair. So the, Jair no, it Alexander, wasn't that battle necessarily. No, it was like a fun back and forth, and they were like they showed it on the broadcast, the drawing down the tunnel, all those kinds of things. Jair Alexander has had a run now of like three straight weeks where he's played out of his mind. Uh, it hasn't always reflected in the grade because he went up against McLaren last week, and McLaren you know, got him at the end of that play where he muscled his way through Jair. But Jair Alexander has been making plays the last three weeks. The Jets game, he basically eliminated Garrett Wilson from the game. Like, he went one-on-one with Wilson, followed him everywhere, effectively took him out, three pass breakups. Against Washington, he had a pretty good back-and-forth with McLaren. He also made a couple plays against the run. Um, McLaren got the better of that, but Jair was making some plays again. And then in this game last night, both Bills receivers had pretty good games, but it didn't come against Jair Alexander, who had, I think, another three pass breakups, had the interception, um, and didn't. I don't think he gave up a catch. Yeah. There was a point where Eric Stokes, I think, got benched for like a play or two. Yeah. And he didn't know why. It was supposedly discipline. Yeah. Of some description. I didn't hear much more of that. By the way, so... Rodgers gave apparently one of the most <laughs> boomer responses to anything I've ever heard. You're like, yeah, what did Rodgers tell the young receivers going into this big spotlight national, you know, television? He was like, go become a trending topic on Twitter, you know? Really, like, introduce yourself to the nation kind of thing. This is like, remember when Bill Belichick was like, yeah, on MySpace or no, mm, Face, my my face. Chat or Face, yeah. you know, that. It sounded like that, right? Like, go make yourself a trending topic on Twitter, young fella. That's how you. That's how you get a, get ahead in this business. <laughs> like, all right, okay. What's wrong with that? I stand with that. I'm just, you know, you hear about how Tom Brady at the age of 45 still tries to relate to the 21 year olds in the locker room and stuff, and it's like this is Rogers trying to relate to the kids. Name this uh, the Leadership Show. We've we're breaking down Russ and Rogers and Gino and all there. Yeah all their leadership ability i've just that was the most like okay boomer thing i've i've heard for a, for a while when it comes to quarterbacks oh the crowd is getting huge at the youtube chat here we get the live the live viewers just through the roof here and yet we're you just still haven't told any of them to hit the like button oh hit the like button now we got almost a thousand people in there if you round up everybody's be hitting the like <laughs> how far are we rounding up a couple hundred <laughs> a couple hundred if 500 is your cutoff to round up okay perfect uh, Matthew Shea Film says Kirk Cousins hit 18.29 miles per hour on the next-gen stats. I mean, Brady, I don't think, has ever touched 16. I'm telling you, Cousins was hauling. 18 is not that fast. It's pretty good. It's it, it's not 23. Yeah. I mean, if you round up, it's 20. Sure. Uh-huh. We're going to round up. Everybody smash the thumbs up, the like button in the uh, in the chat. Cousins did great. It was a good run. <laughs> it's a good run. <laughs> Yeah. Winston Churchill. It was Truman. Oh, okay. Shout out. Thanks to Harry Truman for uh, being a part of the show, for all his quotes. quotes. Thanks to everybody for uh, tuning in on a Monday morning. Do we remember all the games? Probably. I definitely forgot something, didn't I? No, I think, I think we got them all. Mm-hmm. All right. So we've got uh, Texans and Eagles this week. We got the World Series. We'll have our friend Seth Payne from uh, Houston Media. <laughs> He'll be over here to talk World Series and oh, talk wait. that game. Also, 
since the show's already off the rails, um, the XFL teams have been publicized, put out into the world. You have to pick your XFL team right now, live I'm, on the I'm show. I'm going with Bruce. Uh, who's Bruce with? I don't know, but he's the offensive well, coordinator. You need to somewhere. figure out who he plays for well, or Bruce's who he coaches team. for, otherwise you can't. So we got the Arlington Renegades. we got the D.C. Defenders. we got the Houston Roughnecks. we got the Orlando Guardians. we got the San Antonio Brahmas, the Seattle Sea Dragons, the St. Louis Battlehawks. That's Bruce. Blue, Bruce the Battlehawks. Or the Vegas Vipers. We didn't know these before? No. Oh, this is a great shot of Bruce high school from, the, from high school here. A great shot of Bruce from high school. Dude, I have to read. The Toledo Blade is asking me to subscribe to read about Bruce being offensive coordinator <laughs> here for the... Uh, I'm not going to do it. How many subscribers do you think the Toledo Who else Blade is on the coaching getting? staff for the Battlehawks here? Anthony Beck is the head coach, right? Oh, he's the head coach? Yeah, I think so. Anthony. He would hire Bruce. Sounds right. Sure. Bucks reunion here? Yeah. Run Zook. Defensive coordinator. So we're oh, all, no, that's we're somewhere all, else. We're that's a different team. We've got to be Battlehawks fans. Go Bruce. Yeah, Anthony Becht. Yeah, Anthony's great. Rod Woodson's coaching the team. I have some. Uh, I have a hidden interview with Rod Woodson. It's out there with the Mahomes interview when we were, we were going to break down the 2000 Ravens. Before mm. we nixed that, I got a Rod Woodson interview saved somewhere. Nice. All right, great, great show today. Appreciate everybody for being here. Hit the like button on the way out. Appreciate that. And we'll be back again on Wednesday, previewing Thursday Night Football and watching Sam try to hit 60 miles an hour. Try. Yeah. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you Wednesday.